So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. All right, Michael. This week on the show, we're going to discuss Madeline's Madeline, Sin City. And the feature film Lizzie, as well as the Netflix original Maniac, episodes one through six. But before we get there, we're going to do some first impressions, right? As always, let's do it. What are we drinking this week? We're doing an Amarillo IPA from Hellbent Brewing Company. Cheers. How is it, Jen? Tell us. It's beautiful. What's it is? Your lips. It's so good. What kind of beer? Fall mm. is here. That's nice. That's what that tastes like. We've gone more with Ambers and Pilsners the past couple weeks. I think it's good to be back with an IPA. It is. It Delicious. Is. Um, so we're gonna do Under the Silver Lake, and what's the other one we're gonna do? Uh, Beautiful Boy. Is that right? Beautiful Boy. That's right. Which one do you wanna start with? That's, I think we should probably go with Beautiful Boy because I think Under the Silver Lake is going to get us all amped up and ready to talk about Madeline's Madeline. Sounds like a plan. Cheers. Do you know how much I love you? I love you more than everything. Everything? Everything. Everything. We just watched the trailer for Beautiful Boy from Amazon Studios. What'd you think? I think this movie is going to absolutely destroy me. I, do I think I will be a puddle of tears. Uh, I think it'll kind of do what Manchester by the Sea did to me. Um, mm -hmm. Equally emotional. Kind of in a different tone, though. Yeah, absolutely. But um, No burned alive families here. No, no. <clears throat> um, but deep wells of emotion... You know, some soaring music to amplify it. Um, I like both of these actors quite a bit. Um, you know what we're going to pair with it, right? What do you think? Boyhood. Ooh. That could... I, I think uh, Boyhood's... Uh, pair nicely. Just uh, waiting there, screaming. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, the director of this also did a movie uh, like a few years ago called The Broken Circle Breakdown. Have you ever heard of that one? I have heard of that, and I've actually yeah. meant to watch that for quite some time. That'll be an interesting thing to try to do. Yeah, a really different kind of movie. Um, I don't even remember if I liked it particularly. Like, it was just very strange. Um, but I really kind of want to revisit it ahead of time. Maybe um, that'll be the other pairing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it looks great. It looks beautiful. Yeah. I think that it might be something where, you know, as hard as it will be, maybe it's the right movie to watch with, like, your father. Oh, yeah. As a bonding experience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it just looks heartbreaking and, and shattering. And, and I think that, um, you know, it's going to do a significant amount of business oh, because so. they're doing something that we've wanted for years. Mm. Just like putting Jim and Pam back together. We've mm. always wanted Steve Carell to get back with Holly. Exactly right. And it oh, appears man. that this film is putting him back with Holly, which is all we've ever wanted. The which time is, has come. What, what is Michael his, Scott. Michael Scott. There we go. I was thinking George C. Scott. I don't know why. Michael Scott. 
Yeah, the Office fans will uh, be out in hordes to watch it. I can't wait. Do you think Amazon Prime might have figured out that people like The Office? Oh, I think they're onto something. <laughs> I think they something in the algorithm led them there. <laughs> I don't know how they figured that out. Yeah, I, I don't know how else to to talk about the trailer. It's just this is a highly emotional film. It looks kind of like how Boyhood felt, but um, more from the standpoint of a father and a son rather than the son, um, mm. el- kind of illuminating the father, which is yeah. more what we got in Boyhood. Yeah. Um, you like both these actors, right? Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. Yes, yes, and I like yeah. more attorney quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm kind of blanking on what else I've seen her in, but like I see her face and I think that I look forward to seeing her. But yeah, I just yeah, couldn't tell she, you what else I know like her. She's kind of like a Gretchen from. Mole. Like you don't know she's just where there she's and you from, believe but you she's know, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, she waits a film. She really pulls you in. Yeah, I kind of get the sense that he's divorced and maybe one's the ex-wife is and one's a new wife. Is that what you're getting, or is one a therapist? Maybe I, I think one is either like a sister or an aunt Mm. or a therapist um or perhaps even like the stepmother that's he's now estranged from Mm. both women yeah um so maybe it's a case where he had like two moms growing up and didn't know how to to pick Mm. each one and then the father was kind of playing as the mother as well which it seems like steve carell's very much that uh that kind of emotional um concerning father which isn't yeah. you know sensitive yeah the job that most fathers have the job most fathers have is to uh mm. be the punching bag <laughs> yeah yeah i could just i don't want him to pull the rug out from under me and then have holly be the ex-wife i'd be like oh, i thought they were together oh no she can be the ex-wife <laughs> they just have to get back together right in the end yeah yeah well at least that'll mean that they got married after the office that's really what i will judge this movie on yeah is if holly and michael are back together so tbd that's my outstanding question <laughs> and it also seems like he's he's pulling back into um shoot what is luca's film from last year called i can't place it luca guadagnino's film. oh call me by your name yes yeah it seems mm. like he's pulling that uh that raw emotion when he was in front of the fire mm. quite a bit at least in this trailer yeah yeah he knows how to how to tap into that well yes um and it looks like he's tapping into it quite consistently here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, he was also in Hostiles, and he did not go there at all. Mm, so he did not. He does he have a He died very quickly. He did die very, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Should we get to Under the Silver Lake, see what Andrew Garfield and Riley Keough have in store? Let's do it. Let's take one more cheers. What the... Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? I don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. I found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means to stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? I know this girl. There's a message in the music. All right, we're back after watching the trailer for Under the Silver Lake. Taylor, what'd you think? I think I'm going to be a fan of this, and I think that plenty of people aren't going to be, for good mm. reason. Just Interesting. First take. What do you think will turn people off? Um, <clears throat> the same thing that would turn people off if it follows. You know, mm. I, I think that, that was a film that got a lot of fours to fives, yeah. or, you know, eights to tens, however you want to break it down, and then a lot of, like, ones and twos. And I think that everybody yeah. had some pretty good reasons for that stuff, mm. but this is a performance-driven uh, very maniac, similar yeah. uh, style film that 
this is just the stuff I love. The conspiracy theory narrative with the uh, elusive girl. It's yep. it's just a fun story, especially when there's good actors. And yeah. where there were just good actors riddled throughout this uh, trailer. Yeah. Were you a fan of It Follows, personally? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Me quite too. a bit. Quite yeah. a bit. I it doesn't it. hold up... Um, the same way on a rewatch mm. when you already know what's coming. Yeah. But I think that's just the case for horror thrillers where you're truly mm. being sus- surprised and, and uh, you know, you're living in suspended disbelief kind of the yeah. entire time. Um, but it's still good on the second viewing. Like it, it's yeah. those wheelchair scenes where he uses the GoPro are just really intuitive and, and well executed. Yeah. 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 I was a big fan too. Um, yeah, and I was surprised when I first saw the trailer for this that uh, it was as tonally kind of light as it is. Um, I guess yeah. I was expecting him maybe just to continue in that sort of more brooding kind of mood. Um, but uh, I think it looks fun. Uh, it does. I kind of expect to laugh. Um, really well cast, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been a Andrew Garfield uh, fan for a while. Um, I think I was particularly sold after seeing Silence. That was one of my favorite performances. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in, uh, did you see Hacksaw Ridge? I did. Okay. And I liked him there yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, and we both like Riley Keough. Yes. We talked do. about that plenty. Yes, we do. Um, I think it, uh, yeah. And you mentioned maniac. I mean, I do think it's a funny tie in kind of stylistically, yeah. um, with the, you know, um, character trying to find the pattern in his world, searching for clues and codes. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be a nice tie in. And well, specifically um, Jonah Hill's storyline within the the narrative of maniac but yeah um you kind of get the sense that riley cow is playing into her girlfriend experience uh performance Mm. haven't seen that yet and then uh i i don't really remember seeing this is kind of like andrew garfield as a as a dick or a private detective yeah Um, yeah it's kind of a neo-noir kind of thing going on also just a paranoid teenager in love Mm -hmm. but in his 20s instead you know talking to his mom on a cell phone writing down secret codes in pizza boxes looking for uh for Mm -hmm. deep meanings behind the hollywood sign and inside of comic books off of the bottom rack yeah (laughs) yeah so if you had to guess right now do you think she will be good or bad in the end will they end up together or won't they what's your gut tell you my gut tells me that the question will be refuted by the final plot that mm. that he'll figure out that that goal was never the goal along mm-hmm. and the goal was the journey and uh you know needs to look at the bigger picture yeah yeah it, mm-hmm. it felt very much like the leftovers especially when the mm. hotel elevator doors open and they say this is purgatory that's mm. very much a leftovers um plot line you know i i don't think that he stole it or or copied it or perhaps he was influenced by it but i think it's just kind of a common commonality yeah and then grace van patten another maniac mm. tie-in yeah i like grace grace van patten quite a bit um yeah i think you're right it probably could take a cerebral turn yes. um maybe less literal than the trailer might lead us to believe but whatever it, that means, if uh if it does not then i would say that he does not end up with her and he sees her dead body in the pool sunset boulevard style Ooh, that would be my i prediction. like that i can already see the look of terror on his face and perhaps he's the one that killed her mm. and he maybe doesn't even know it yet yeah and wouldn't it be great if she was the one wearing the old man mask playing the piano i thought that was anthony hopkins i'm i don't know who it is he I'm didn't look great so i was like great. if it is he doesn't look too good but it was kind of a quick 
clip. Well, it, it was like the old man mask that we see in uh, Suspiria. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. pretty similar heavy makeup. It looked exactly um, the same to me, to be honest. Yeah, maybe this is a crossover. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man, could you imagine Riley Keough showing up at the ballet academy? <sighs> I would love it. Let's call Luca. <laughs> we have an idea. Dario, give us the license. <laughs> um, well, I I don't really have much else to. I wish I had more to say about it, but it's really just I want to see it. I'm yeah. kind of pissed that they put it off for a year. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I think we, you know, we all read different things. I had heard that um, it was because early previews weren't great that they took it back to the editing room. You heard kind heard, of the inverse. Yeah, I heard that the performances were so good that they wanted to release it closer to award season. I love it. So we have. It just leaves <laughs> us right in the middle. Yeah. So. Uh, the, I guess a closing statement would be this is absolutely an A24 film, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I love that it said A24 when it popped up. Like, if you could get the the best studio to make, uh, or to to put out a film like 8th Grade and a film mm. like this, it is A24. Mm-hmm. You know, Oscilloscope's doing some really nifty things. The H Brothers yeah. are doing some good stuff. But, you know, Legendary's kind of left the, the name brand production company search yeah. in, in Lurch. And I think that A24 is really kind of a budding cinephile's best friend at this moment yeah yeah between uh this eighth grade and, and hereditary right mm-hmm. um which we will here. bring up again when we talk about maniac mm. Mm. oh interesting i could see it can you i like it cheers i guess okay we were in the car <laughs> are you really okay she thought my friends hated me you're hurting your mother that's fine one day you'll live to regret it. Go to rehearse! Go to rehearse! Go to rehearse! What? Get out! No! Get Mom, out! Can go home! Out. You're not acting like yourself. You don't know myself. I'm trying to do something that's really hard. Do you feel safe around your mom? The mood swings. It can be so bad sometimes. Are you crazy you or something? No, I'm not. I'm not. Mom. I don't think I should be in your project anymore. It's really looking at me. All right. Our first film for this week is Madeline's Madeline, directed by Josephine Decker. This was uh, what I would call a Sundance darling, right? It's been. um, It's certainly a David Ehrlich darling. Mm -hmm. You know, only surpassed by perhaps Paddington, too, at this moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, highly anticipated reviews have been, um, there's been a wide range of, re- of reviews yes. from ecstatic to not so much. Um, yeah, there, there's been some scathing reviews, some, uh, preposterously huge reviews like David's and, and mm. a few other people from New York. Mm. Um, but I, I didn't arrive at either of their conclusions. Yeah. I, I, I was actually both... let down quite a bit. We were both kind of in the middle on this one. Yeah. Identical, mm. in fact. Yes. Three out of three, or three out of five. Three out of three would be great. Three out of mm. five from each of us. I think I gave it a heart. You did not give it a heart. Um, I certainly thought about it a lot. Mm. But I, I did not arrive at a place where I felt like it hearted me back. <laughs> no heart. Um, Why did you give it a heart? If you can elucidate that. Um... 
Sometimes the heart for me means I really like what a movie is trying to do, even if I think it has some problems kind of getting there. Mm. There are other ones where, despite it not only having problems or things I don't like, even if it succeeded in doing what it was trying to do, I don't like what the goal is. Yes. Um, That's where, you know, just the affection comes. It's more like, oh, like I'm so bummed because I wanted this to work. Yeah. Um, And I think that's kind of how I felt about this. Um, And there just kind of was enough about it that I did like, I think, to warrant that gooey heart. Um, So let's get into what you did like. Yeah. Uh, The performances. Um, I liked all three of these women quite a bit. The three lead women. um, Mm -hmm. Molly Parker, Miranda July, Helena Howard as the titular Madeline. Um, I thought all of them were really convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, Miranda July as Madeline's mom. Um, her concern and anxiety I thought was affecting. Um, as Madeline, I thought uh, Helena Howard, um, who was new to me, I think this is maybe her first film. Yeah, yeah, that's why it says introducing. Oh, does it? Okay, yeah. at the beginning, mm-hmm. yeah. And at the end. Yeah, um, I thought she was delightful to watch. Um, I liked watching her, um, get into these, uh, quirky, whimsical characters. Um, so you say delightful to watch and I, yeah, like just to interrupt, I don't think we watched the same movie Ah. because she's talented, Yeah, but she is not delightful to watch. She is heartbreaking. Sometimes she's delightful, but sometimes you're just like, oh, fuck. Well, yeah, of course, but I mean, like, there is, when I say delightful, I mean, it's a satisfaction from what she's doing as a performer. Yeah, I'm not yeah, saying okay. that, like, I'm so, so... Okay, so, I'm not, so I don't you weren't mapping into delight yeah. during the entire performance. No. You were delighted no. in her ability to perform. Yeah, and okay. I mean, and I can okay. think of her, you know, um, on, like, yeah, I'm thinking about her, you know, the scenes we get kind of in her mind as a turtle on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, I would call that more delightful. And there are scenes like the ending where I think, you know, the control is kind of given over to her. Um, to me, there absolutely were moments of delight. It wasn't um, just um, a, a continuous um, so the end works for you. bit of a, a, a tremendous bit of suffering or something. Um, I don't know that it works, but um, that is something, you got that, something that was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I did not. Not so much. I, I see what there is to get out of it, but the narrative didn't take me to a place where I desired that outcome. Yeah. It's kind of like what keeps you alive. I, I just, I, I got why we arrived there, but I I don't think that it suited the narrative best. Mm. It, yeah. Out of what I saw. Like, I feel like there's a better ending within the narrative piece that I saw on the screen. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's just get to the thing that everyone's talking. It's being compared to Mother. It's, they're mm. saying that the, the camera swirls and, and the tone and the, uh, the kind of illicit anger that is being evoked by the camera and the stylings of the cinematography are mm. incredible and visceral. Mm. I did not feel any of it. Mm. I didn't, I wanted to, I thought I would, I, I can't say that I had a, a moment that compared to my experience with mother or came halfway there. Mm. Um, I'm wondering, did, did you, did you find the, where people are talking about that and, and why they're saying that. I did not adore it um, as much as it sounds like some people did. To me, it made perfect sense. I mean, I think kind of the soft focus and the, the handheld camera work um, did adequately express her psychological turmoil and confusion. 
at the same time, I didn't find it particularly pleasant. Um, I was never kind of wowed by it, but I thought it made sense with what okay, but Decker was trying it. to do. Yeah. Okay. I was, I, it was very I clear didn't... to me, like, what Decker was trying to to achieve. Um, I agree. But you also have to kind of want to, like, return to the experience mm-hmm. um, or just get some joy from it. And I was like, I get it. Point made. But I don't particularly like it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm kind of similar. It's like I had a separation from it. I got what mm. she wanted to do. I feel like she did it it just didn't work for Mm. me the way that she did it um Mm. and you know some people were disturbed by the film some people were were, i i've read many reviews some people had to leave the theater they they were crying like Mm. it it was deeply affecting for these people and i don't get it like i Mm. i don't understand like Maybe if you are a teenage girl, I, I can map on to how you're finding this experience. But if you're just a normal adult, regardless of your sex, I, I don't understand how you can view this piece and feel such a stirring range of emotion. In reference Based to on the, the camera, camera work, specifically. specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think I could sort of understand how people might feel it. I just didn't quite get there myself. I mean, I think I could see how someone might identify with how the camera represents what Madeline is feeling. Um, and that representing her sort of, her grip on reality sort of slipping, perhaps. Um, and that sort of confused state of coming of age when you've experienced something traumatic. Um, I think it's a really personal thing. Um, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, that, it definitely uh, is. Like, I, 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 don't know that I could really argue with someone who said I, I was moved by it. I can only tell you yeah, that no, I wasn't. I, you know. Yeah, I'm not trying to argue. I'm just trying yeah, to yeah. to see if we have a a similar uh, experience in in mm. mapping it and trying to yeah explain what it's like to watch the film as an adult that um you know by our own personal accounts, which are unreliable, are of sound enough mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and just to clarify, when I use the word delightful, like it is not in reference in any way to, you know, her trauma. Like that is like absolutely upsetting and affecting. Yeah. But I think like there were moments of her with the troop getting into character. We get her in these mind and like these are to me, these are scenes of whimsy. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think those are those are fun scenes. So you're otherwise, not otherwise you it found, would be unbearable. You, you didn't um, find delight in the kitchen scene with uh, uh, with uh, Molly Parker's husband. Oh, uh, no, not delightful. No, no, no that was stirring <laughs> and traumatic. <laughs> no, I use that word selectively in reference to particular scenes. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think we kind of are in the same spot about yeah. the camera work um, and. You know, I mean, I think there there's there are really interesting things in this movie that I that I kind of kept thinking about, um, like how an artist, in this case a director, can go about um, telling somebody else's story and sort of like what are sort of like the ethical issues with that. Um, to me, that's like that was sort of the most interesting thing going on in the movie, um, and it's simultaneously trying to put us. Um, in Madeline's head and see everything from her perspective and I don't know that that perspective really helps us like uh, really interrogate like 
why it might be problematic for a director to try to do this kind of thing. Yeah, because um, she doesn't give a fuck. Exactly. Like, in a way, it's kind of uncomplicated because um, Molly Parker's character is so obviously in the wrong. Like, there really isn't any ambiguity about it. Like, in a way, it would have been more interesting to me if she maybe wasn't so willfully ignorant about her exploiting Madeline. If she mm-hmm. was perhaps, if she perhaps thought that what she was doing was, was okay. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, you know, that would be a little more interesting where. Right. And that's she's... the argument is that Madeline might be finding it therapeutic, even though Molly Parker's mm. unaware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's like the ideas were kind of floating in there, but, um, I don't know that it really kind of wrestled with them in the way that I wanted it to. Um, yeah, I didn't wrestle with any of the ideas. I, I mean, plain and simple, there's one perfect piece of performance in this film, and it comes at the end when she's uh, acting as if she is her mother. And it yeah. is just, that is a heartbreaking scene and also an incredible scene. And that that's the mm. scene that basically says, I'm here to stay. If yeah. I develop, I will be a star. Yeah. 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 Super affecting moment. Um, but yeah, I think about the scene when they're doing like, uh, press photos for the show. Yes. And at first, yeah, at first it's just Madeline and another co-star. Um, and you know, there's something about a blank stare that can be surprisingly affecting from the right actress who knows how to do it. And sort of just the emotional vacancy when she's just standing there kind of getting this direction and then Miranda July is brought in. It's really hard to watch, but, um, here's her. I was moved by, she won't eat it. Yeah. Try to give it to her. Mm, Yeah. Painful. But, um, I thought Helen Howard was good there. Um, I, I felt like the film suffered from too many voices. mm. There's, I think five writers attached to the project. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and I couldn't tell you that there's really a, storyline that follows you mm. know um in my in my letterboxd review this is just me remembering it and abbreviating it but basically mm. my biggest criticism is when you make a feature film about nothing other than a performer and their performance mm. is a feature film truly the best way to present that narrative mm. and i don't think it is i i think that this is a, a really good example of why you you need shorts like shorts need to be mm. more respected and they need to be circulated more. We need to see more of them on Netflix. We need to see more of them on Hulu. We need more on Amazon. Like mm. shorts are legitimate form that I want to see more of. And I think that if you mm. take certain scenes from this and you mm. assemble it as a vignette of shorts, it is a much more affecting piece than this feature mm. film that you had to sit down in the theater and watch. I think it was an hour and 47 minutes or something like that in a row where it loses its pace it gets in its own mm. way yeah and it has a disjointed voice mm. whereas if you have clear vignette assembled pieces that are shorts um the the disjointed voices are forgiven because you are, are already interpreting that into the form to begin with yeah that's interesting i hadn't really thought of it as um what it would look like in the form of short or shorts um yeah, I think just because I was particularly interested in um, Molly Parker's character, that um, I was interested in it as a feature that could have um, 
looked at their relationship in in a more interesting way um i mean to me that's that is just a fascinating question like how can artists what is the right way for an artist to tell another person's story um how do you kind of compassionately um, yeah yeah i mean um authentically but i think that's easier said than done Um, yeah but i i mean if we're gonna ask the question it's it's i i don't think it's really i think it's fascinating how you can express the um negative manifestations of it but i don't think it's that hard of a question to answer like i I think that you do it compassionately and you do it authentically to the best of your ability and if you fail at least you tried your best and you don't come at it from Mm -hmm. a negative mindset you you come at it from trying to be positive i would agree it might not be a terribly hard question but i mean i guess i would say like that's some of some of the great movies i don't know what that are about about really hard questions it's just about answering them regardless um it's yeah. about how you kind of illuminate the answers yeah um, right like the, I'm the saying, opposite like, of what something... i'm saying is apocalypse now which is a, like a, an, a fascinating affecting film yeah um, um who who are director uh hitchcock right hitchcock's a nightmare to his actors mm-hmm. and actresses specifically the actresses um especially if you're blonde right yeah and he made great films. So so there's definitely, I, I guess, a history that, that could be curious or, or interesting to explore. I just didn't didn't arrive at the interesting or interested part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you like the other actresses? I mean, I guess. Which other actresses? Miranda Molly Turley Parker and Miranda Parker. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they were good. With them. Yeah. It's just the, the narrative didn't work for me and it detracted from everything they're in yeah uh yeah if i isolate performances um i i mean that scene that end scene where she is um pretending to be her mom yelling at her mm-hmm. that'll definitely make my top 10 female scenes of the year yeah. but the reason that I, I don't know how high it'll go is the narrative buildup detracts from that performance mm. You know, I'd, I'd rather watch five versions of her performing like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's because the narrative wasn't strong enough to be interested in every other facet. Besides, like, her kitchen interaction with the husband. Or when she rips out her mom's hair, which is just a singular moment. Uh, on the street when she encounters the bum and then begins to act like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, she segues further down the, the road um, across those blocks and, and sidewalks. Uh, and then the beginning, I thought, was really, really dull. Uh, just the intro and first, first Yeah, just like so. the first 30 minutes was just mm. um, mostly dull. Yeah. I, I don't think that they got uh, enough. I, I don't think they had enough reason to have it, if that makes sense. Mm. And it, that disjointed narrative voice. Once again, five writers is way too many writers for a movie mm. like this. That's interesting. I mean... We, you know, we came out with the same score, but I think we kind of, we just enjoyed different parts. I think I was okay at the beginning. I mean, I was intrigued um, by these characters and interested in getting to know them more. And then it was maybe more kind of disappointed in sort of the, the focus um, of the narrative I, and the I, camera, I, no, as so, well as the camera, I guess. I absolutely agree. <laughs> yeah. at the, so what I'm saying is in circumspect. So mm-hmm. after having watched the entire film in its length and knowing the mm-hmm. strengths of it, especially the ending... Mm-hmm. Um, or, or where I think it should have ended, which is kind of at the end of her perform, or near the end of her performance, uh, after a small dialogue at the end of it. Yeah. 
I I was able to see how wasted that beginning was on where you mm. arrive emotionally. And mm. it's not that I think that the beginning is a complete waste, but I think that where there's 30 minutes, you can boil it down to between 12 and 18. Mm. Yeah, just uh, could have been tightened up. Yeah. Yeah. Too um, many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was sort of just an environment that I liked well enough and was interested by that I think also kind of earned it um, the heart. I mean, um, I think this narrative could be explored in lots of different kinds of performance settings. Um, this kooky um, experimental theater troupe I thought was um, was fun to watch. I was I was having a good time watching these people mm-hmm. do these kinds of bizarre um, character exercises. Um, and sometimes that's enough. Sure. You know, it's the environment that the characters are inhabiting regardless of where the narrative kind of twists and turns that um, just kind of keeps you in the world and enjoying the experience. Um, yeah, it's like I, I can think of other screenplays I would have rather watched the cast do. You know, mm-hmm. like I'd rather watch them do a Midsummer Night's Dream with that cast than I would rather mm-hmm. watch that movie with that cast. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's that type of thing. Like, I would love to see Helena Howard in a The Dresser uh, adaption or you know remake, whatever you, however you mm-hmm. want to interpret that, because it is a, a play first. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Alec, I thought she was great. I've really only seen Molly Parker in uh, House of Cards. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else, you know, future film-wise she's done, but that's really my only reference point. Um, but I thought she was kind of funny here, too, despite, like, how cruel she was. She was also kind of wildly pretentious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's got a lot of freckles, right? She might need to go to the mm, hospital get each one of those checked. That was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Miranda July is pretty damn good. That was, that was a good <laughs> quip. Um, uh, you know, talking to the photographers about the outfits, um, you know, I think it's you could... I could imagine many people calling this movie pretentious, and I think there is some a little, a little self-awareness going on in there as it's poking fun at her and her um, possibly perceived pretentiousness that was kind of funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, overall, not one that I'm super excited to revisit. Did but. you um, did you feel like it was edited well? Um... I don't remember feeling particularly strongly either way on the other okay. Kind of neutral. It, so there's five story editors. Ah, or, got it. Or story writers mm. uh, and editors. There's three editors. Mm. So I, I think that the... I, I, it just doesn't feel right. Like, as a mm. feature film, it didn't feel right to me. Mm. Um, the, the the narrative got in the... Or the lack of narrative or, or the way that they attempted to incorporate a continuous line of an actor's evolution as the narrative i just don't think a feature film suits this type of a a focus for a story and and Mm. i i think that editors uh at the end of a a feature film have just as much to do with with the story as the story writers did Mm. yeah um i didn't know i didn't know that that's a lot you don't know i don't know how that many people would work together um, I, not well <laughs> not that i've done it before so i don't know um yeah but... i i think that there's a really good in like a tv movie i guess on on the mm. in the right cutting room i think that there's a good tv movie in there between 48 and uh mm. maybe 112 minutes mm. 
you just wouldn't is it just you just wouldn't want to spend that much time with the characters i don't want to spend yeah i don't want to spend that much time with the characters in the format that it's presented like i want to start with that pornography scene in the basement oh i want to start with her smoking i want to start with her smoking on her stoop uh having Mm. that interaction with the teenage boys going downstairs uh talking about this is her dad's uh room Mm. and and then as we go through the film and her dad never shows up, I want that to come out and how important that scene was. Yeah. Um, and then the, I, I think that's, that's like Miranda July's scene stealing scene. Um, mm. And, and yeah. so I, I kind of want to start with Miranda July as this figure of power mm. um, and, and her as, as subservient and then ripping the hair out and then move throughout the story with that dream of her um, mm. burning her mom with the iron yeah. And throwing the shake at her in the car and, and really feel like there is a buildup that is natural to this stuff and s- instead of that disjointed feeling that it had because of the editing. Mm. Yeah. If that makes sense. You want a different cut. Yeah. And I, I yeah. think that even I could make it. <laughs> yeah. You should download it. Recut it yourself. Let's do it. <laughs> Madeline's Madeline V2. <laughs> I've edited a film with Helena Howard. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think I have a lot else. Um, you excited to see what Helena does next? I am. Yeah, and I, and I, I personally would be very interested to see uh, Josephine Decker's next movie too, um, because uh, you know, yeah. okay. not so much. For I'm you. not very um, interested. I'll watch it, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not excited. Mm-hmm. Like with Boots Riley even though I didn't like his movie very much I'm excited mm. to see what he does like visually I was not mm. excited visually by what Madeline's Madeline did I don't know if that I was excited but I was surprised I mean any kind of movie that 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 takes chances formally um is telling its story in a way that that feels new to me um that just means that the if you assume they're willing to take a chance again that it could work better the next time um That's I mean possible. there are many 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 movies this year that I maybe enjoyed a little bit better, but that um, felt like they were doing something that I've seen a million times um, and that therefore don't really seem like they have the potential for greatness. Um, and I wouldn't call this, I didn't find this great, but um, I think um, she's at least willing to, to try new things. So, yeah. And, yeah. And what did you think about the finale? Um, I don't or really not, know what to make sorry, of the Sorry, not the finale. I'll... Because the finale isn't where it should be. What did mm. you think about the final important scene where she becomes her mother yelling at her and the uh, that fallout of what it means? Like, how, how did you feel like that whole thing played out before um, mm. Molly Parker went outside? Uh, well, I thought it was incredibly affecting. I mean, I, I thought the performance was incredible. Um, it's the most powerful moment in the movie, I think. Um that, that's where the editing worked for me. They yeah. were cutting away to a girl on her knees that seemed mm. about her mother's age that was yeah. like legitimately disturbed and concerned in her face yeah. about what she'd just seen and how Molly Parker was at, was reacting to it and what she wanted yeah. to do. And I thought that that was just expertly edited. Like, yeah. I, I loved that scene. Yeah, yeah, kind of um, the event and then the reaction to the event from the... Yeah. the, the the bystanders yeah um, and um the the girl who's impersonating her mother f- character in the photo shoot mm, um yeah. she's standing at the back covering her mouth like really disturbed and she's like 
She just keeps asking the question. So you want us to become mad? Like this is Madeline's story. Yeah. Like I'm okay with that, but that's what you want. And she's making, she's staring at Madeline while she's asking it. Mm. Um, yeah. out, of, out of what you would interpret as like a mother like concern, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and Miranda July storms out of the room. You know, maybe one sixth into the performance that she's getting. Like it's mm. just, oh, it's deeply affecting. Yeah, and I, I guess to me that's where some of these questions did kind of come to my mind. It's like, I mean, I, I mean, I guess they, they they sound simple when you say them out loud. You know that it, it seems so obviously wrong what Madeline or not Madeline, what Molly Parker's character is doing. Um, but that's just something that movies do all the time, right? Is um, actors inhabit um, real people that they don't know? Directors mm-hmm. tell other people's stories. Um, or documentarians and, depict uh, falsely real people. Yeah. Um, you know, some movies that I think, you know, did this kind of interesting, I think it was last year, there was the movie uh, with Rebecca Hall called Christine, mm-hmm. about Christine Chubbuck. Um, that is a beautiful film and one of see, the best performances of the decade. That's interesting. So, like, some people, you know, did not like that movie. Um, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's a fucked up movie and you have to kind of have a fucked up mentality to be okay mm-hmm. with it. So, and did you see uh, Kate Plays Christine? Yes. What did you think of that one? It's not as good, but it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are uh, not really Christine. Christine's more like the object of um, Kate Plays Christine. Um, but I think, um, y- you know. Kate these, Plays these Christine's of... more of Madeline's Madeline. Exactly. These movies are kind of in conversation about um, sort of the, uh, the problematic nature of actors inhabiting other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why people, a lot of people found Christine disturbing, um, or at least just of the, the critics hold, that I read. Hold on. So you've, you or critics find, found Christine, depicted by Rebecca Hall, to be disturbing mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. an actor portraying someone who was mentally ill? I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I really have a, this is not like a hill that I'm willing to die on or anything like that. But I mean, that was a very common position of just the critics I read, um, who felt, um, that it was an exploitation, you know, of, um, what happened. Um, and that, Oh, that's stupid. To, to, um, to inhabit that character in the fashion that she did was, was ethically questionable. Um, okay. Then Anthony Hopkins is ethically questionable, right? What do you mean? Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon etc right like like murder and suicide from mentally ill people then is morally questionable for actors to inhabit and i think that that's that's a to limit freedom of speech freedom of expression uh in such a way as a critic i think is morose and, and deplorable that's just disgusting. Well, I, don't, I don't think it was about limiting free speech i just think I, well, I that's think... what you do by saying that something shouldn't be done i didn't say that no, they they didn't right? say that. Oh, okay. The question is, how do you do it compassionately? And some people found it compassionate, some people did not. How do you not find Rebecca Hall's performance compassionate? I or it, within the narrative, compassionate. Uh, I don't I don't remember the specifics, and not to just you know take myself out of the argument, but you know I'm just I just meant to bring it up as a as a point of reference as. Um, a conversation between those two movies and about that particular performance that I think Madeline's Madeline is um, similarly interested in. 
and about sort of the problematic nature of, of performance. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, many yeah, people I'll, loved it. I'll many die on a not. hill defending Christine. I, I don't think that the narrative does anything to pour. I think that mm-hmm. the arc that Rebecca Hall is allowed to give, um, that shows, uh, the, the slow loss of her character of Christine, um, and, and how she kind of begins similar to Jonah Hill's character in Maniac to question reality and her uh, emotional experiences within it are, are very touching, beautiful, and authentic in, in a way that uh, I'd be happy to defend and die on Yeah, myself. and I, I don't think it was necessarily people having a problem with Rebecca Hall or what okay. she did, but it, it, it is about, it, you know, a director's choice to put her through the motions that she did. I mean, I think people agreed or from what I recall, I mean, I think that was pretty a uh, a pretty um, highly praised performance. Yes, but the um, the choice to tell that story and what sort of questions it raised. Oh yeah, people. I'm sure that the people that had a problem with Red Sparrow mm-hmm. had a problem with that. You know, Good. putting yourself in a in a putting a woman in a situation where she is, um, you know, a victim. I think that a lot of people have problems mm-hmm. with, and I think that. What you're missing is that these women that are doing the performances are incredibly strong and durable and very talented. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the lines get blurry when it's when it's a real event. Madeline's Madeline is fictional. Yeah. I mean, it could be grounded in something. I don't know. I, um, I think that but... um, what I heard briefly was that Josephine Decker was kind of pulling from her ex- or Helena Howard's experiences and kind of creating the Molly Parker character. Mm. Um, I can kind of see that. that. It feels sort of um, in reference to reality, you know. Yeah. Like, so I wouldn't just say this is made up or anything like that. But yeah. maybe um, he, that is interesting to consider. Like, if she did that on purpose with um, Helena Howard to make it a joke, so that Helena Howard mm. would feel more comfortable doing this performance. Um, and being in the know on the fact that it is a, a joke and kind of making fun of the truth of what is happening so that she could be more comfortable as a performer. Yeah. that It's more interesting to think about what's happening behind the performance to get us to the story about the performer <laughs> and the director than it is to think about the what, what's within the narrative. I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> we need charts immediately. <laughs> Let's put on some masks. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyways I will die on a hill for Rebecca Hall's performance there yeah we tangents that's what we do (laughs) Uh, she's equally good in Joel Edgerton's film The Gift just gonna throw that out there good movie Um, so yeah we were talking about uh, Helena Howard interested in seeing what she does next yes way that we agree on at least what do you think um, would be interesting to see her do next right like we already know that she can perform in a performance centric type of a film like she would have been at home in a film like Suspiria mm-hmm. but w- what do you think would be interesting to to see her inhabit mm. I could have seen her in um like American Honey maybe maybe that's probably just because I think she looks a little bit like Sasha Lane to me yeah um that's probably why that's coming and you to just mind. want to name Riley Cow films that's probably it too um i don't know anything come to mind while i think uh i'd I'd be interested to see her honestly in in like a sitcom format like as a love interest for um for someone in in a in a television show like arrested development or something Mm. um 
I, I just think it'd be very interesting to see her have to deliver narrative style dialogue actually mm-hmm. and and not play into who she is as a person but actually mm-hmm. inhabit a character fully for the entire length of a performance mm-hmm. uh, and see if she's capable of doing that in a format different than this mm. yeah. and, and different than she's ever performed in because she, she did grow up doing plays and stuff she's very talented um, I, I gather that that thing about going to Juilliard it's probably pretty close to the truth with yeah. what I saw but if if she can do that sitcom style acting, if she can do voice acting on a BoJack Horseman, mm-hmm. if she can do a a love interest in a comedy or the victim of uh, you know some sort of a thing within like a, a detective style comedy, mm-hmm. and and bring in that emotional weight um, and be wholly committed to the character and not get to have a character break within the storyline, yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah. Not necessarily something serious, but something comedically serious. Yeah. Um, maybe just because it's also similarly experimental. I mean, I think I think she would have fit right in in Sorry to Bother You. Um, for me. Sure. Um, I could have seen her in uh, Tessa Thompson. Uh, I was about to say Tessa Thompson's role. Yeah. yeah. I think she's. I think there's an age gap there. Um, so yeah. I wouldn't swap Huge them out. Huge age gap. She's yeah. under eighteen, I believe. So. I, yeah. I wouldn't swap them out, but I think I could imagine her inhabiting that world yeah some smaller um, earrings exactly with shorter phrases yeah yeah tessa thompson's like the extra large size madeline's yeah. madeline or just madeline helena, helena howard, howard more medium probably h but. squared if you will <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> too many names i, I, I oh. think i'm i think i feel good about what we've said about madeline's madeline and how well i've mm. defected uh defended rebecca hall so there you go <laughs> we're still at threes Still threes. Yeah, interested for Helena Howard. Um, open to Josephine Decker. Mm. I'd like to see a screen. I'd like to see her direct a screenplay from one single writer that isn't her mm. with no one else. Just one single writer. Mm. She directs it. One editor. Mm. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see what that looks like. Especially if yeah. it's reteaming with Helena Howard and it does uh, an, a comprehensive or, or complicated narrative. Mm. Yeah makes sense see what she does next all right should we get on to sin city you want to take a quick break and refill our beers let's refill the beers let's do it people are gonna know we just cheers empty glasses let's get to sin city michael most people think marth is crazy he just had the rotten luck of being born in the wrong century he'd be right at home on some ancient battlefield swinging an axe into somebody's face or in a Roman arena taking a sword to other gladiators like him. They'd have tossed him girls like Nancy back then. Show's over, dickwad. Drink up. Now that's one fine looking coach you're wearing there. Sin City. I saw this on DVD, I think, probably a year or so after it came out in 2005. Um, I don't think I've seen it since then, so this was a revisit for me. How about you? Have you seen this multiple times? I've seen this four times. Okay. Maybe, In different formats. Maybe more. Um, yeah, d- different editions, too. Theatrical, then extended, or or the director's cut, and then um, probably the normal again, and then just mm. this week, uh, extended, uncut, unrated. <laughs> You've seen the works? I've seen the works. And you watched mm. the Netflix version. 
Correct. There is a version on Netflix. It is leaving on October 1st. So it will you be gone. You will not get to listen to this. <laughs> or, sorry, watch the version. It for will free. be on VOD, I imagine, though. Oh, it's on VOD on all the big ones. Voodoo to Hulu or... Not Hulu. Uh, mm. You know, wherever you buy shit. Amazon. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. You like this film quite a bit. I love this movie. Yeah. I love the character work i love the characters mm. i love the dialogue i love the stylings i love mm. the cinematography i love what they do with the background i love how they draw attention to the foreground i i love every single thing about it and you hate every single thing about it it seems so false there is just one particular thing about this movie that i that i strongly dislike many other things are okay um, but what I dislike just overwhelms the rest. And I feel like I am the only person in the world who just doesn't like the look of this movie. Um, That's correct. Yeah. Um, you need to be colorblind like me. You'll love it. Yeah, apparently. Um, I just, I remember watching this when it uh, came out. So this was 2005. So this was 13 years ago. I was 14. I remember thinking it looked great. I remember um, enjoying it at the time. I'm not sure that I... Um, so, for the listener, mm. I just went and grabbed uh, a copy of the first book, The Hard Goodbye. Mm. And I'm going to show Michael, like, what it looks like to look at it. Yeah. See how, how it is, just straight up ink, black and white. And everything that I'm looking at now in the book looks great to me. That looks fine. Um, I would have rather seen an animated version of this movie. Um I just could really? not believe for a second that these people were in these environments. Um, and then it, it overwhelmed everything else about this movie, which will be more interesting to talk about because I think this is that a is taste issue because um, there's lots else going on. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's kind of a cliche to, to describe a movie as something like, you know, oh, I could just, you know, print a shot from this movie and put it on my wall. People say that a lot, but to kind of do the inverse here, like th there is nothing from this movie that I would want to, print and, and put on my wall or look at more than I more, look at longer than I have to. I just I don't like the look of it. I couldn't disagree more. It's personal. Yeah. Um, but I mean, <sighs> like some of those moments, uh, Mickey Rourke busting out the door, uh, mm. Quentin Tarantino's um, scene where he's shooting um, Benicio Del Toro and Clive Owen talking in the car when Benicio's dead and he has a gun barrel out his forehead. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That, that's directed by Quentin Tarantino, if you didn't know. I was scene. wrong. I was wondering which one was his. I guessed wrong. I, I thought it was... Um, oh, wait, no, that is Clive Owens, actually. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's Clive Owens okay. Benicio. I was kind of wondering throughout it. I didn't know in advance. Um, it, I suspected Tarantino when the bald neo-Nazi gets the arrow through him. Yes. And yes. he's talking. like Yeah, he's it's very Kill Billion. Uh, yeah, I was like, this seems like Tarantino. That was the one time where I was like, I think this is his segment. No, he didn't have anything to do with the screenplay. He just directed. Oh, he just directed. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. That was my only guess. Yeah, screenplay. Sure. Um, you know, I don't trust it mm -hmm. because Robert is such a kind person, and mm. this was not made through the union, mm. um, which led to a huge fallout for him um, mm. in moving forward uh, about what he was allowed to do and who would work with him, and he faced mm. a lot of. Um, blowback and pressure from being allowed to do what he wanted to do moving forward after this film yeah but um he he did it without the union and yeah. 
Um, it's Frank Miller's directorial debut. I don't know how you count that. It's kind of like um, Quincy was just released on Netflix, which was a film from a filmmaker who's made one film before this, co-directed it with Rashida Jones, and it's her first film. So to mm. me, I count that as a directorial debut in my um, nomination, or the, the way that I rank directorial debuts on the year. Say I, that again. What movie was it? Uh, Quincy. About, oh, yeah. about okay. Rashida's okay. father, Quincy yeah. Jones. Yeah. Um, cool. and, and so this is Frank Miller's first film. He, mm-hmm. he goes on to direct two more. Um, his uh, graphic novel and, and comic series, The Spirit, he made a film out of. Mm. And then he returns to Sin City with a Dame to Kill For with Robert Rodriguez, which was a very bad movie um, and, and didn't have the same stylings or stylisms that this did, nor the narrative um, and acting. Yeah. yeah. Kind of dragging it through. But, um, shoot, I, I interrupted you, didn't I? Where were we? That's okay. Um, yeah, I mean, similar to um, uh, a lot of CG movies um, today, um, even something like Paddington, which I really liked, um, a key part of my enjoyment of any movie is sort of just being able to believe that the characters and the actors inhabit the world that they're in. Um that's why I have, like, if I have one gripe about Paddington, it's that, I, you know, it's something about his texture relative to the world around him that's that's a little distracting for didn't me. Did you see it in theaters? Uh, I did not see it in theaters, no. Um, the uh, the underwater scene at the end with the train when he falls off oh, the yeah. net and goes in the water. In theaters, mm. that was an incredible visual. Because yeah. the fur looked like it was legitimately in the water. I was like, yeah. holy shit, this is Planet of the Apes, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, so I haven't seen Planet of the Apes, but I heard that that was particularly um, well, visually Well, which one exciting. haven't you seen? I haven't seen any of them, but I most uh, heard the last, most recent one discussed um, yeah. in that vein. Um, yeah, I, I guess every year you take a step away from it, you'll go back and you'll go, it's not so much. But you, you have to remember, like, what is it, The Rise of the Planet of the Apes with James Franco? I th- mm. think it was maybe 2012. You have yeah. to remember what what was happening in 2012 like what films were you know comparable to it the avengers i think came out the same year yep. that james franco's uh, rise of the planet of the apes did and and if you compare them they're it's just it's a perfect it's a perfect looking movie um, mm, as far yeah. as what they do with the cg yeah um so yeah i you know i just i have a i have a hard time um believing these people are where they're supposed to be um, and that gets in the way for you. Um, yeah. Can, can I just kind of ask you if you've... Yeah. Uh, did you see The Spirit? No. Okay. don't know what that is. Did you see 300? Long time ago. Yeah. Did you like it? I did, but... You liked it then, you suspect you won't now. Exactly right. Is my yeah. assumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, you haven't seen Batman vs. Superman? No. Have you seen The Watchmen? No. Okay. <laughs> so, unfortunately, These not many points of reference. Visual but... uh similar because Mm -hmm. you know these are all frank miller Mm -hmm. graphic novels that i'm listing that are adapted to films through what i would call visionary filmmakers yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, you you know we probably just separate here um i I think that you're a lot more enamored with what the camera does within an actual physical location and i'm more enamored with what the lens can do to make me transport myself into a frame of narrative yeah um it, yeah, th- that's fair. Um, it uh, it just looks um, looks too much like a video game to me for for a lot of it. Um, 
even when you're looking at the actors' faces. Um, no, that's okay. No, it's more about how how they how they mesh with the the texture around them. Um, but most of the most of the action, I don't know. It kind of feels like I'm watching um, Grand Theft Auto or something like that. Um, Which Grand Theft Auto? Oh, I cannot tell you any of the versions. There's probably ten Grand Theft Autos by this point, right? Okay, so not the most recent Grand Theft Auto that looked really, really, really good when it came out. I suppose not that one, if that one looks great. Maybe um, Grand Theft Auto 3, when we finally got to our... Uh, what What's that one? Uh, third person? I think Grand Theft Auto mm. 1 and 2 were top-downs, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, it's just not visually appealing to me. Um I would I would much rather see uh, a fully animated version of it. Um, I would also like to see a fully animated version. You once again have not seen the Watchmen, mm-hmm. so you haven't seen the animated uh, short comic within it, um, or tapped mm. onto the end of it. Oh. Like a like a post credits kind of thing. Yeah, I'm really embarrassed that I can't remember what it's called. It's not Black Sails, but it, it's something. Um, uh, it, it's this man. It, it's. Uh, it's somewhere between Pirates of the Caribbean and Sensei, you know? Got it. Yeah. Uh, or Mickey Rourke's character in Sin City. It, it's uh, the black... I, I have to look this up. <laughs> it's going to drive me insane, you. yeah. <laughs> um, comic within Watchmen. Marooned. Tales of the Black Freighter. There we mm. go. Tales of the Black Freighter. Uh, there's a short... Uh, animated film that they made for it. Um, I don't remember how if they released it in theaters, but it's in the extended Blu-ray. Narratively related? Yeah, yeah. It's mm, okay. It's narratively related because Alan Moore is a genius. Mm. Um, and and also like when I'm watching this movie or when I'm watching Watchmen or Three Hundred, I'm taking into account the context of the narrative and the transition of comic. And I mm-hmm. like when I watch Sin City, I feel like I'm reading a comic book visually. Yeah, but if you said that to me, I would think I animation. That's what's hard. Um. Yeah, and maybe you um, really value high quality animation and you want to see more opportunities for adult animation. Mm. And I do too. It's just realistically, that's not a for. Like, I, in the back of my head, I know how much it costs to make those Pixar I know yeah, how many I'm talking years absent of cost. To, I mean, to me, this yeah. looks cheap. Um, what? <laughs> it looked cheap? Are you sure that you just didn't have a bad streaming quality? It did not look good to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. see, the, the, this is an interesting thing where I can't... I don't <laughs> see the same thing you see. Yeah. That's just factually true. Um, yeah. So I, it is curious to me, like, how much of my experience that I enjoy is something that other people straight up don't see. Well, yeah, when you, when, when people are talking about a woman in a red dress with Josh Hartnett, what do you see? Are you, you telling know. me you just you see some other color? No. Or you see no color? Yeah. This is a black and white movie for you. Yeah. 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 So, and so I mean, the, I, the, the, I know how the to guess. The accents of color mean nothing? Correct. But yeah. I, I know how to guess the shades, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I know... Uh, based on if i look at the look at a structure i'm gonna guess that a a skyscraper is gonna be gray or steel Mm. or you know whatever the fuck that type of color would be i can say it and then someone will go yeah if there's a sky and there's clouds 
I'll guess that it's gray. If there's yeah. a sky and there's a few clouds and it seems clear, I'll guess that it's blue. Yeah. Uh, if there's water, I'll guess that it's aquamarine, right? Yeah. Because the word aqua mixed mm. with the word marine seems like a pretty, you know, I know how to hedge yeah. my bets when I'm describing stuff. Um, but, Taylor is colorblind, in case you <laughs> did not pick up on that. But the, I, the black and white, uh, the way that they shot it really accentuated mm. um, the stylings of the comic book to me. Mm. and made the performers live on a stage like i felt like i was looking at a play of a comic Mm. book and i loved it i loved that styling it's how i feel when i watch 300 it's like they're they're in a play on a stage and the the background is the cg fill-in of a stage where you would have your normal stage artwork and and in the front or the foreground there are these beautiful performances Mm. does it look um glossy to you like, I'm just trying to pick up. It, yeah, you, yeah. You talk I'd, about glassworks. You pick up shiny. on like kind of shine and yeah, reflection I'd, I'd say it's and that shiny. kind of thing. It's yeah. definitely shiny. Yeah. 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 Okay. Just trying yeah, to understand a, a glossy what that looks layer. like to you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of like a glossy nectar. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's the word. I remember it. Um. Yeah. Did you not that? see that? No, I didn't. I, that's what I didn't okay. like. Uh, oh. Because shit. that's not what okay. I see when um when I look at that book. Like to me. Oh yeah, the no, movie is this more is like a laminated version of that, um, mm-hmm. which I <laughs> and I love a laminated book. You're like and <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying the book is preserved. <laughs> um, look at that. Is that Brittany Murphy? Uh, that's Carly Gugino's character. Ah, oh, I could see that. Yeah, that makes sense. And those are the heads on the wall. Ah, uh, yes. It's a good mm-hmm. book. It's a good book. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Looks pretty good. And how about those bandages, right? The one on the eye? These yeah. are that's just like they did Mickey's. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there's only like so much I can say about, you know, just whether or not I like to look at it or not. Um But I think I think there are things I did like that that just unfortunately kind of overwhelmed my overall experience. But if I try to just pretend that that's not a thing, um, I think there are things that I otherwise would have enjoyed, like Mickey Rourke's character. Uh, I thought him just not dying was hilarious. Um, right up until the end. Is that all you got? Dinner. That was funny. When he pukes the blood up and they, they shock him again? Yeah. He was good. I think he was probably uh, my uh, favorite character of the bunch. Oh, I'm not Burned seeing things that. right. You need to take your medicine. <laughs> you need more medicine. <laughs> do, you, uh, do, do you like all these vignettes equally? No. Not in the presentation that I had. I think Josh Hartnett is the weakest link mm. uh in the extended uncut unrated jesus christ i need to memorize how to say that mm-hmm. um josh hartnett has a four minute um chapter and then it's credits and then it's to the next one and the yeah. way that they assemble it it goes bruce willis Jessica alba mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. never see them again then four minutes josh hartnett with alexis bladell yeah. and then you go into um mickey rourke's entire arc till the end never see him again and then you go into Clive Owen. Mm. That full arc. Um, and gotcha. then it's over. Yeah. And I don't think that that's the right way to assemble this. I think that the right way to assemble it is similar to the way that it was released. I think that mm. you um, you put the hard goodbye first. And then you go mm. with Mickey Work. I, th- yeah. I think that's the first thing. And I think you end it with um, Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba's. Uh, mm. The Yellow Bastard, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of 
the Clive Owen is where I would put the Josh Hart and Alexis split out thing, where you see the arc of mm-hmm. her getting murdered for her actions that caused the death of everyone. Yeah, I don't even see that in mine. You her getting murdered? By Josh Hartnett in the elevator? Not in the elevator. In the hospital? Mm-hmm. So mine starts with, at the beginning of the film, Josh Hartnett is on the roof with a woman in a, re- in a red dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He shoots her. And what's the end? With Alexis Bledel and that Him seeing her on the elevator uh-huh. and the door's closing. That's oh, it. interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, so that, that take, is a material They take an ele- elevator ride up and they have a conversation. And I think that that sequence is called The Customer's Always Right. Mm. Because he's killing the customer. Got <laughs> or, Yeah. Or, that, or, okay. Know, so there is difference. actually literally a content difference. Oh, yeah. Um, no, there's 35 minutes that you're missing. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. We talked about that. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And you, you prefer some over others? Um, Are they not all pretty really. similar? Not, I, I mean, Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba are, are incredible together. You know, that's, that's just a favorite. fun. Mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke is amazing. Clive mm-hmm. Owen, though, brings this, this you know, children of men period of time where he's mm-hmm. just at the top of his game. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't say that I liked one more than the other. I can say that I'm more passionate or compassionate to the hard goodbye than any of the other stories. Mm-hmm. Because it is that neo-noir, right? It just yeah. is, and I I love the Arnold Schwarzenegger character, um, yeah. trying to find uh, revenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the way you know I was I I kind of think of this movie in my head is as a sort of classic '40s noir meets a Tarantino esque aesthetic. Um, that's how that's that's really my only kind of way of kin conceptualizing this because i don't know frank miller like i, I don't know and how you to, don't how know rodriguez right i don't know how to put, kind of put them into that equation um and i kind of realized i think as i watch this especially how much i prefer in the golden age of of noir from the, of those movies that i really like it's usually um implied sexuality and violence that I prefer over overt sexuality and violence. And I think you get much more of the latter here than the former. Um, and I think that sort of um, left less to my imagination for me um, when I think of it as a noir um, that maybe detracted a bit from my liking of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and Frank would say, good, you're not the person I wanted to like this. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, that's just, if you've read, like, The Dark Knight Returns, or, or if you've read 300, or if, mm. you know, that's just not what he wants you to... He, he doesn't care about that. He, he wants a viscera on yeah. on the, the frame of the, of the page, um, or he wants viscera on the frame of the film. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is to be dark and brutal and brooding and upfront yeah. and uh, disturbing and, and complicated mm-hmm. and, and ev- evocative of deeper emotions, which I get mm-hmm. too. But I'm I'm sure maybe the emotional uh, developments didn't work on you. How, how about Elijah Wood? Uh, I like that that storyline. Absolutely. Um, I think I think that's probably one of my favorites. I like Clive Owen's um, storyline a little bit less with the um, bit in Old Town. Um, Brittany I, Murphy was real fucking good. I do like Brittany Murphy. I actually. miss her. I didn't realize how much I missed Painful. her. 
yeah. other than just married i i hadn't really thought about it recently and then watching mm. this i was like yeah that, that is a significant loss that you can't really th- you can't comprehend what role she could have had and how she could have developed as an actress mm. yeah. all, you, all you know is that it's definitely a loss looking yeah. back on it yeah i liked her quite a bit but um I think I could I could pretty easily rank them um, by Mickey Rourke and Elijah Wood's storyline first, um, Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba the second, and then Clive Owen's third. Um, particularly just because I really like Mickey Rourke's character. Yeah, um, yeah. The hard goodbye is hard. To, you can't top it. It's yeah. You just come out the gates, and you're you're jumping through doors you're jumping down stairwells you're jumping through the front of of police cars you're getting ran over by a woman like it's nothing yeah and and she's in like a roadster and it's just it's incredible you're you're handcuffing elijah wood's brutal cannibal character to you and you're beating the shit out of him you're cutting his limbs off and leaving him to be eaten by his dog it's just this incredible never yelling Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mm. yeah um yeah to me as you know two people against each other his his nimbleness versus his just brute strength is is a fun contrast yes it is. um i had a little bit of trouble kind of connecting with clive owen but i like benicio del toro in that um especially when he's in the car driving alongside alexis bledel mm-hmm. um that was just a particular moment that i did like his performance in um and uh, I oh, honey, hit. this is your last mm. chance. You got to turn back. Yeah, good scene. Um, when I was fourteen, Jessica Alba was, I think, my favorite. Less so now. Um, I didn't particularly care for her here. All I ever saw was Jessica Alba. Um, really? Yeah, and that's a problem with with I think a lot of these for me is that um, I only ever saw the actors except for Mickey Work, who I saw because of, of that layer of makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because of the vignette structure for me that I don't feel like I have enough time to sort of um, see past the actor and see the characters that they become. Um, but I only ever saw Clive Owen or Jessica Alba. Um, Bruce Willis almost got... He, I think he, he basically got there, but Mickey Wark was was my favorite. Would, would you say that um, Benicio would be second? Yes. Yeah. So interesting mm-hmm. is that each of them has a huge amount of makeup or mask work. Going yeah. On. Yeah. And each one um, predominantly is acting with their eyes and their bodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, Benicio's just a uh, bona fide creep when he's driving alongside Alexis Bledel. And I think he's he kind of tilts his head and says, you know, do you want to see it? Uh, and... I, I, I don't know that that line got me I was like oh, this guy I don't want to have anything to do with him um, so that worked but um, Clive Owen yeah I, I, I couldn't quite see past his his actorliness um, yeah no he's which, just I ordinarily am, I'm kind of okay with him so I'm, you ever I'm see sure. shoot him up Monica Bellucci I don't think so okay is that uh, kind older of right I kind of remember that name yeah it's like 2008 2009 yeah maybe 2007 even uh he stabs some guy in the eyes with carrots. It's pretty funny. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> carrots yeah. are good for your eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very much like a pre-John Wick um, type mm. of a film trying to, to hit that genre audience. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, Clive just works for me, especially as a narrator. Um, you know, I jumped out. I when I jumped down, she tried to stop me. She yelled, "Stop!" She yelled, "Stop!" Mm. Right? But she's really yelling. He's a cop. He's a cop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that unreliable narrator <laughs> play, I, I think, was really, really good. Very noirish. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Wait, did you watch the same thing I watched with the unreliable narrator? Is like a character being developed. Oh, I watched this piece of shit. Oh, yeah. No, you didn't watch it. It's a Something Dan else. Fogelman movie called Life Itself. It's just terrible. Oh, my gosh. There's a narrator in that? Oh, it's an unreliable narrator. That's uh, the whole premise that of the film. terrible. And it starts out with an unreliable, unreliable narrator that is not the true unreliable narrator. It's just a nightmare. Yeah, I think I heard that the per-theater average for that last weekend was, like, $500. Ooh. Pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, before we hate on that. Um, I mean, you haven't even seen it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just not optimistic. That's how much you hate it. <laughs> That's how afraid I am to watch yeah, it. Yeah, you can trust me. It's yeah. not good. Um, I promise. What else? Um, what do you got? I mean, I've, I've got a lot, but you, you don't like quite a bit of it. So what... Mm. I, I guess you've already explained why you don't like the whole thing. And you do like Mickey Rourke, but you don't like all the other characters. So what is it that, that mm. you're liking that you're not giving a good review to because the visuals get in the way um not a lot i mean okay what, <laughs> what you said was that i was wrong and that you did like it and that there's one predominant thing that got in the way of you liking it that absolutely is the overwhelming driver of my uh distaste for it um there are there are certain sort of redeemable qualities like Mickey Rourke um, but I think um, somewhat of, of what I already mentioned the the gratuitousness of um, the the violence and, and the nudity to me seems um, very counterproductive to a noirish mode um, yeah no it's not trying to be a film noir it's trying to you know be that 1970s 1980s brutal um up-to-date interpretation of that 1940s, 1950s war. Mm, yeah. You know, you, you can't, um, I think, take the context of the age that it's trying to evoke out of it and still have the correct mm. interpretation of what Frank wanted to communicate. And Frank is mm. just very much a brutal depictor. Yeah, but for somebody who doesn't know Frank Miller, the extra textual doesn't mean anything to me. It's just a, ma it's just a matter of what's on the screen. Um, and to me... All, I, all it feels like is a, a very clear reference to noir conventions with, with um, voiceover narration, um, the bitterness, the cynicism, the hard-boiled dialogue, um, and it's missing key components of what I think made those movies good. Okay. I, I would say that um, that is all true and valid for your experience, but that what he's doing isn't just playing into film. Mm. he's making a comic book he's not making a film there's a yeah. there's a film based on his comic books yeah. or graphic novels and that what he's doing has more to do with narrative structure over um the western canon which we'll get back to mm. with maniac the entire mm. idea of a western canon of uh storytelling and that that if you just look at it from a film history aspect everything you're saying probably is accurate and makes 
good sense, but mm. that is not the derivation of where he came to these narratives from or these characters. He was influenced by those mm. things that you're mentioning, but there there's a lot more to it. He's going to be more influenced by Batman mm. or by Stanley's comics and by mm. what they're not offering or what they are offering and what's going on in, in the world and... Um, you know, doing those vulgar displays of free speech um, mm. and freedom of press that that are were mm. really wrapped up at the time. You know that he's coming at, at things from a standpoint that are just hard to, I think, put into context if you just look at it from a film perspective. Mm. And I think that you were much more drawn to film history, and I'm much more drawn to extra textual narrative uh, history, perhaps. Well, let's go there then. Extra textual history. I mean, it sounds like I mean, what you're referencing when you say freedom of speech, uh, that sounds like more of a uh, cultural reference than a comic book reference. Yeah. What do you yeah. see when you see when you say freedom of speech? What vignette or what? what I mean, Frank Miller depicting of? dead heads visually in his graphic novel. Uh, he he did 1980s uh, the dark or maybe it was early 1990s the Dark Knight Returns comic, which is just this brutal. Mm piece um he he wrote the spirit for a long period he um within comics you had to kind of to be profitable at the time you couldn't really have a mature audience and frank was mm. the first one within the universe that i'm aware of that, um other than than very um what you would say is kind of small time perhaps writers or, mm. or, or um, artists, he's the first one that truly had an adult graphic audience mm. that established things moving forward like the boys. Um, mm. Just brutal, banal books. What's once. the boys? The boys is... Um, how do you... Okay, imagine... Um, what you think the house that Jack built is going to be like. Yeah. Okay. That's the point. Noted. It's but just, in comic book form. Yes, yes, okay. yeah. Yeah, um, he, he just paved the way and, and he gave a voice to... He gave, he gave a new voice within the arc of graphic novels and comic books that was normally very approachable, kid-friendly... And, and something that parents w would agree to. And then he, mm. he kind of made something that was for adults. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, it drove this adult thing. And, and I would credit him and what his work was with Batman to drive the arrival of the um, animated film Batman the Mask of the Phantasm. I, 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 think, that that, I think that we don't mm. get that film unless we get Frank Miller's Batman. Yeah. Um, which is brutal and punchy and, and um, gory. Yeah. And, and Sin City's brutal and punchy and gory and you're getting, you know, these backdrops that, you know, I, I understand why someone wouldn't like it. I love it. And what mm. you're getting in front of it is a performance of these characters and I already have these characters within my head from reading the books. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting to watch these actors that I really enjoy personally, especially at this period of time of 2005. Mm. You know, Mickey Rourke is pre The Wrestler. Bruce Willis hasn't um, completely given up. 
Oh. Right? He, he... Shitting on Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, oh, shit on him. Uh, Jessica Alba, I, I think, is right in the height of her um, pretending to be, you know, something that she's not, by all accounts. You mm. know, this innocent kind of uh, dupey girl is kind of how mm. she's depicted in the film, right? But she's really actually like a very smart person in real mm. life. And I, I think that as kind of after this, she doesn't continue to do films where she acts like a sex symbol. Yeah. She, she kind of steps away from that, other than maybe The Love Guru, which Ooh, I will I defend would... forever. Oh, you do like that one? I, I haven't it. seen it in a long time. Not willing to go there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just the, the whole thing works for me. You get Michael Clark Duncan in here. You get Nick Offerman mm. with bleached hair. Oh, yeah. It's just, I noticed uh, that. I was excited. He didn't last long. I was kind of hoping the, he was going to stick around. shootout sequences, um, you know, allowing uh, a conversation about prostitution and keeping mm. um, something that's more corrupt away from it to keep it pure is an interesting idea. That mm. by keeping the cops out, you keep it uh, non-corrupted. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's interesting subtextual conversations happening with, within the film just like i thought that there were uh last week with uh helena Catet and bruno borzani bruno forzani's film yes yes yeah uh how do you think your your appreciation of it would change if you didn't know frank miller i i think that it would change it i think yeah. that i wouldn't get as much out of the subtext or the extra context of the characters and knowing the entire narrative Mm-hmm. but visually for me it's a stunning film to look at Either just way. like 300 yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, just like i'd want to watch leonidas cut that guy's calf off and have it go through the the field goal uprights every oh, single that. time yeah. you know i yeah. i want to watch uh mickey work with the white tape on his face um mm-hmm. telling her no he cut himself shaving yeah as he asks carla for his pills yeah yeah there's lots of other stuff stuff that i want to watch i don't know that i'll prioritize it but i do at least want to watch like some of 300 again just to kind of compare um because i do remember liking 300 um so i'm curious just to see if visually i feel similar um to it as i do sin City. city um yeah i think that you might be more open to 300 because of lena hetty or lena Headley. I don't know. Oh, she's in it. Okay. Yeah, she she yeah. plays the queen, mm. um, and I I think that she actually really grounds the film in a in an yeah. interesting way. But um, let me, let me just list the actors that y- you might not uh, remember from Sin City. So we got Mickey Rourke, yes, Clive Owen, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis, Jessica Alba, and then the um the gal who shoots the arrow is uh, Devon Albee. Mm-hmm. I've I don't know if I've ever seen her since, but she was really good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Then we get Alexis Bledel, Elijah Wood, Josh Hartnett, the um, power figure, Powers Booth, Rosario Dawson, Benicio Del Toro, Michael Clark Duncan, Tommy Flanagan, Carla Gugino, Brittany Murphy. If you listed that cast with any other movie, I guarantee mm-hmm. you would like it. Tommy Flanagan is the only name I don't recognize. He's the explosives expert. With he's an Irish uh, oh, American gotcha. with a huge scar on his face. I do recall. He is from. Uh, he's best known. I don't remember his character's name, but that um, Charlie Hunnam, uh, Sons of Anarchy. 
FX show. Mm. I think is kind of his biggest role. Gotcha. Um, and he's probably in Peaky Blinders too. Yeah. This might be a personal thing, but to me, this sort of has what I would call the Lincoln problem, where when I watched Spielberg's Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, that was a star-studded cast, and I felt like n- many of those uh, famous celebrities had enough time to disappear into their roles, and I ever and I only ever saw the actors. Uh, and I think I had a similar experience here. Hmm. Didn't um, happen to me with Lincoln. I, I couldn't so. tell you Clive Owen's name. I couldn't tell you... Um, all I think about is Clive Owen. I, I, I don't think about the character now. Um, but I I can imagine feeling very differently had you read the book um, or been familiar with the comic. And, like, that is, like, uh, that's a really special thing. Like, when you when you love a book and you feel like it's just, it, it's aesthetic um, has been um, fairly and more than fairly brought to life um, yeah, yeah. on screen. Like, I mean, the, the guy that made it directed it. Yeah. Or co-directed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it didn't... I mean, like, all the problems you're listing are the problems I have with the Dame to Die For, or Dame to Kill For. The follow-up to this. Mm. Gotcha. So, the sequel. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, came out, like, a few years ago, right? 2014. But did not do so well, correct? I would call it a piece of shit. Yeah. Just to be charitable. Equally um, star-studded, right? Uh, I feel like somewhat, it had a big cast, but somewhat it just um, this is really dense. Mm-hmm. I'd say like I didn't even get to Nick Offerman's name on that cast list. That's just the biggest cast members I wrote down, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas it's kind of you know front loaded with big names, but if you actually look at screen time, they're not really there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, that's why like it's been weird for me to rate it. Like I can only, uh, you know share what i felt but know that like there are critical um reference points that i don't have yeah and i mean i'm also taking into account that it's 12 years old when i look at it visually Mm. yeah just like when i look at rise of the planet of the apes it might not be perfect now but i am taking into account six years old and that what things look like now very different yeah i mean just go to last year's jungle book from john favreau and and Mm. compare and you know there's just better things happening yeah it's like comparing yeah. uh toy story one to toy story four coming out like are, yeah. are you really yeah. going to do that visually or or not yeah and i yeah. i'm not going to do that for this and i i wouldn't do that for toy story that's just yeah. how i lump it but i, I get yeah. why people would do that yeah yeah um but you wouldn't recommend the sequel i would not recommend the sequel and i wouldn't recommend the uh extended uncut unrated version unless you already love the film or you already love the comic book because it is in a a it is presented in a complicated way that is not conducive mm. to your experience yeah yeah um, I, I think that the the stock way where it's all edited together into commingled storylines is probably more affecting mm. um especially if i remember correctly the farm actually like has a plot to it where, where you like mm. you feel like the farm is almost a character that you entirely mm. lose in the version that I watched. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not the kind of film, sometimes you don't, you know, you see a movie, you don't like it, and you don't want to have it, anything to do with it. It's not really that experience where I watched it and was very interested in just looking at what it looked like on the page. Um, you know, that was the first thing I did was just Google Frank Miller, Google Images, and that was <laughs> enjoyable in itself. And you saw him um, in his hat? Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it, uh, what you bring to it, um, baggage wise, 
matters. Certainly. Just like with any film. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'd recommend it. You would not recommend it? Personally, if you have not read the uh, comic, I don't think I would. Okay. I think that, uh, dear listener, despite what Michael's saying, mm. you should ignore him. Because mm. this is a comic book movie, and Michael has yet to like one on the show. So I will speak for comic book movies, and I'd say that this is probably one worth watching. I'd probably recommend steering away from his follow-ups, Frank Miller's, that is, in The Spirit mm. and A Dame to Kill For. But I, th- I think that you could probably watch this, or at least begin to watch this, and figure out if you like it. Well, let's ask this. If somebody said, um, would you recommend it as a noir? I'm in the mood for a noir. Would you recommend it? No, it's not a noir. Mm. Do you see why somebody might classify it as a noir? Or a truly yeah, noir convention? I, I guess if you're going to classify mm. hardcore as noir. Yeah. Would you classify hardcore as noir? I haven't seen hardcore, but I'm, I'm okay. loosely familiar with like, it. I, you know, I no, I wouldn't classify... I mean, mm. it's part of the noir subgenre. But yeah. if we're talking about noir, as soon as you get past 1962, I don't think you can recommend a film that's noir. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't think it's physically possible. Because it, then yeah. you're becoming influenced by current events and these statements that are happening with freedom of, of press, freedom of speech, post-JFK assassination. Like, you're getting into all mm-hmm. this stuff, Vietnam, uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, all this stuff is playing into it, and you lose what made the original noir and original German expressionism the way that it was, which was because they were still living in the shadow of those current events of World War II and World War One, and the confinements of a lack of color. Mm. yeah um i would agree like the political landscape matters history matters but i think um the noir tradition i think continues uh, I, I think and it I don't, does i think yeah. as a subgenre. but can you name like a noir noir since like 1960 what about something like brick yeah i i think it's in the subgenre, just like looper but i wouldn't say that it's a you know, it, that's like saying the adjustment bureau is noir to me. Like, I, maybe, maybe it's not for you, but t- to me, you know, it's just in that subgenre of yeah. I, well, yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah, you use the word subgenre. I mean, I guess I, if if that's a sh- subgenre, what are the other subgenres of noir? Uh, yeah, like to me, to me, that hues as closely to the conventions as you could could get. So, I, I guess when I think of a noir, I think that we're gonna we're be talking to about <laughs> about shadow. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be talking about light. We're gonna be talking about a mystery. Yeah, and I think that brick doesn't do much with shadow and light. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's in the subgenre of a classification of noir, mm-hmm. but I don't think that it is noir. I think mm-hmm. that it's more of a mystery suspense, mm-hmm. which is the ideas that a noir is made up of. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my point is that. And if, I, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to talk about like movies in any objective sense you have to try to kind of think about like the framework that uh, the framework in which they exist you can therefore consider Sin City to be in a noirish mode therefore is it successful in its um, engaging with some of the noir tradition so you said something very important you mm. said objectively Yeah. are you asking me objectively how Sin City should be rated or are you asking me subjectively as who I am 
we don't I don't I don't think we clarify at the start of every conversation whether or not we're talking objectively or I'm subjectively always talking but I think subjectively. but I, I but I think we do sometimes make statements that sound more objective than yes. than subjective. Yeah, yeah, when we're standing on our high horses. But if you were to ask yeah. me objectively how I would rate this, mm-hmm. I would give it a 3 objectively. Mm. Um because I think that you have to take into account if you're talking objectively every single age group, every single age range and all of the history of cinema. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's more of a three then. But subjectively for 2005 mm-hmm. and what it does narratively and how it it expounds upon the comic book and ties it mm-hmm. all together in its different versions and what it does stylistically with CGI at that point in time, yep. which you have to keep in mind, I think is four years before Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's in the, I think it comes out either one year after or while return of the king is coming out like this is a point in time where what's happening with cgi is very still new you know we're, we're still in the mm. middle of the harry potter run um, yeah and i for that i give it a, a perfect five and i think that it's stylistically mm. gorgeous and fascinating but i think that objectively if i was going to be talking to every single age group at the, at the same time yeah it's a three it's mm. more than neutral mm-hmm Gotcha. That's fair. Because of its stylisms and its acting performances. Yeah. Which I do yeah. think that, you know, the average person's gonna just see Clive Owen. But I think what Clive Owen's doing, I, I think, yeah. makes it a little bit better than just a neutral performance. Yeah. I'll let you have the last word because you were trying to close it off and then I went on. <laughs> well, I don't have anything else. I, I was mm-hmm. just trying to... Oh, no, no, I meant that was the... a, a, oh, okay. a good point of closure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when you said objective, I was like, okay, I need to change everything I just <laughs> said. I didn't realize we were speaking objectively. I was just on my high horse. <laughs> um, let's get into a really brief conversation. Uh, 2018's Lizzie. What? To your knowledge, did your father have any enemies? This is America, sir. Every man with a pulse has enemies. Lizzie. Directed yes. by Craig William McNeil. Mm-hmm. It's a movie. Starring Chloe Sevigny. I don't know how to pronounce her last I name. I call it Chloe Savini. Savini. Uh, because she's not European. But you called her Chloe Sevigny last uh, episode, so I was like, I might be wrong. But if you're now admitting that you might be wrong. I'm probably We repeating... don't know how. She's gotten umlaut above the E. That's all I know. Do what you will with the umlaut. Um, Chloe, whatever you want to call her, along with Kristen Stewart. Chloe S. with Kristen S. <laughs> That's right. Two strong actresses. I did not like this movie. You did not like this movie. There we go. Uh, Kristen Stewart was pretty good. Chloe was all right. Uh, eh. The end. Mm. Yeah, I thought this had some pretty... Um, jarring tonal shifts throughout the film um the performances were fine but i thought the direction was bad enough that um yeah that the performances barely had a chance to kind of break through you know what was Mm -hmm. good Mm. anytime they were using the axe that was okay yeah just if you can Mm. edit that down to every time the axe is in someone's hand Mm. pretty decent yeah, I did. I did think that the ending was okay, but it was a little bit. Uh, it was just too little, too late. It had lost me by that point. Yeah, I um, agree. 
I'd, I'd agree with every word of your sentence. Too little, yeah. too late. Yeah. Um, I really never connected with the romance between Chloe and Kristen Stewart's character. Um, no, that wasn't a romance. Was I it? think it wanted it to be. I very much felt like there were clues. There, there was there was a suggestion of romance through the form that I was not connecting with. Um, yeah, I didn't. The music know. is, I, I didn't is know pulling you into it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like because she's being sexually abused by the father. I didn't know if she mm. was also being sexually abused by the daughter. But like the daughter didn't mm. know that she was sexually abusing her. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's complicated. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but like because she was nice to her, um, mm-hmm. maybe she was writing those notes to manipulate her. I, you know, I, I'm going out on a limb here. I just I didn't pick up on a on a clear tone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. I think the tone is all over the place. Um, to put it lightly. Yeah. To think of the scenes when Kirsten Stewart is uh, being assaulted by the father. Kristen. Yeah. Is it Kristen or Kristen? Kristen. Kristen. She's uh, being assaulted by the father figure. She's in her room, and we get those, you know, dark shots where the light's kind of coming out through the edges of the door. Um, The tone is, um, you know, ominous or foreboding or something like that. Um, And it just doesn't ever really kind of meld with the scenes bookending it um, as we kind of shift to to a daylight mode. Um, to a more suspenseful mode when we get these death threats coming to the family, to these um, more spree-fearded feelings when Lizzie's trying to um, release herself from the uh, restrictions of her father. Like, I just felt like there were all these competing feelings that the movie was trying to elicit, and none of them went together for me. Yeah, and I was also trying to be like a biopic. It it, it had a very complicated tone. Something interesting that I read about it was... um, someone loved the film and thought that it Mm. was beautiful to look at and that what they did with the frame was incredible and their Mm. what what they were saying was that the fact the sky is never within the frame Mm. is um on purpose and and i i would agree but they were just getting so much more out of it but they were saying that Mm. it was to make the viewer feel as if they were lizzie or Kristen mm. Stewart's character. Uh, I think it started with the B. I don't remember. Um, and that you were a prison of mm. this home or the or, or this uh, you know f- family structure, and that you never see the sky until she actually goes to prison at the end mm. before she gets freed. Um, mm. Which I mean, that's it's an interesting note, and it's interesting that people yeah. love this movie and give it perfect reviews. That's really interesting. I mean, the cinematography had me like thinking quite a bit to me there was just dozens and dozens of shots where you know a character is positioned kind of off center on the left or right of the screen and there's you know some kind of uh, empty space adjacent to them um, and you could you know I, I could see the argument that that sort of emphasizes how um, sort of marginalized Lizzie feels or suffocated she feels um, but I think what was really missing was um, a closeness with her um, I, I, I thought it distanced me when I wanted um, closeness and that was a problem um, I I mean I think I wanted to be close I, I wanted to be closer to it since the beginning of the film and I never yeah. got there yeah at all and I, I that was probably on purpose yeah no yeah 
Yeah, I mean, there were a couple early shots of uh, tracking shots where we follow Lizzie from behind, right? You know, you see this in a lot of film. This was the first time I thought to myself, we're watching the back of Lizzie's head as we're walking, that I thought to myself that this is just a counterproductive shot that I think might need to just go away. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think this does anything. I don't see her face. I yeah. don't see what she's looking at. This I was about to say, nothing. maybe what you need to do is, is look at her face and look at her her emotional development. Yeah, you know, Because Chloe yeah. can do some fascinating things with her eyes and her eyebrows. Yeah. And the way that she can manipulate her nostrils. She really can. This film did mm. not play into that, though. Yeah. Um, this director did an interesting film with Rain Wilson called, I believe, The Boy. Um, mm. Quite some time ago, 2014, 2011, something like that. Um, very jarring looking cover. Very, very mm. good. And he teamed up with this cinematographer each time. But this mm. screenwriter, this is the mm. first film the screenwriter has ever done really mm-hmm. he's written a teleplay for a tv movie before this mm-hmm. but no other um film screenplay and yeah. i think that that's what shows yeah. because the cinematographer and the director seem to have kind of a, a shorthand which mm-hmm. you know by their work history i think that they had six episodes of channel zero they'd done together they'd done every short that the director had done together i think that the uh cinematographer had done more work outside of that but uh, i think everything this director has done is with the same cinematographer and i think that that shorthand did show up visually Hmm. but um there was nothing to the narrative to keep you with within that yeah yeah i mean i think there are some kind of complicated family dynamics here um and i don't know that it really pulled off um filling all those out um there is this romance there's um Lizzie's relationship to her mom to her dad to her sister I don't, I don't know they all just felt um it, it just lacked some sort of this familial um chemistry that would have led me to believe this was a family yep. living together um, did you also feel like it was like marketed ineptly yes and it like the film that I was out. marketed was not the film that I sat through yeah or rather was a victim mm. to yeah yeah um, like her family members i was very much a victim to lizzie <laughs> yeah yeah so this was this was an article that i was looking at last night i, I had a feeling it was still up on my phone um titled it's a huffington huffington post article that says chloe Sevigny's lizzie borden biopic isn't the axe murderer movie she originally imagined and it's uh talking a little bit about how it was originally conceived as a mini series that hbo signed on for pulled the plug on got this director on board and that the um vision he had in mind is not what she had originally in mind as the producer um and i just realized you know you know this is purely extra textual but when you when you see her kind of giving it her all um and literally putting it all on display in the end Mm -hmm. um what a bummer to think that like uh no do do you know much about chloe um only like what she's done but not she's like she's like a young female bill murray Mm. she's like i don't work on anything because an agent or a studio wants me to i work on something because i decided i want to work on it and i i won't work on something for five years if i don't feel compassionate about it and if i find something that i'm passionate about i'll work for three decades straight i don't care and i'll put everything on the table for it yeah and that's why i love her yeah. And that's why when I was talking about what keeps you alive last week, I that's why I wanted her in there because mm. I thought that that's oh, yeah. who you we yeah. were going to get. But that's, 
that's not the Chloe that we got, and that's the director's fault, and that's the screenwriter's yeah. fault. Because yeah. she had moments where she was that person. Yeah. Kristen Stewart had moments where she was at the top of her clouds of Sils Maria game. Yeah. And this is, you know, it's just not a good movie. And I don't think that it's any of the performers' fault. Yeah. I think yeah. that every performer was really interesting when their entire face took up the frame. Mm-hmm. And that it was disjointed from the rest of the film and the rest of the characters. Yeah. And to me, that means that each character was good. But the the summation of the people that are in charge of assembling and conducting those parts failed. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's frustrating when you feel like all the ingredients are present. It's just uh, it's just the assembly that's gone awry. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good movie there. I don't think this is it. No, I, I, um, not to continuously be mm. a contrarian like I feel I am, but I don't think there's a good movie here. Really, I would, I would love to see a, a, uh, a, this story told with these actresses, with this production designer, with someone who has a better sense of tone and continuity. Uh, I, th- I, I think there okay, is a. Okay, hold an ex- on. Do ex- you mean a different director, a different writer? Uh, probably both. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm only talking about the end so, experience. I don't know what each gotcha, gotcha. contributed. What, yeah. When you say there's a good film here, yeah. what that means to me, at least when I talk about when I say there's a good film here, like with Madeline's mm. Madeline, I literally mm. mean what we saw mm. can be edited into a good film. Mm. Oh, God, and I yeah, don't I think that. that Lizzie, what we saw, can be edited into a good film. No. I think no, no. good short, probably a good short, yeah? Maybe if you just edited her moments no. with Kristen Stewart. To me, there's still a lot going on. I just want, I just want somebody. I think I want different direction. No, I, um, I agree. But maybe a good, like you don't think you can get a good short if you edit all the Kristen Stewart, Chloe Savini interactions together and then capitalize it at the end with the murder sequence. I think that you can maybe get a good short out of it. Not like a great short, but like a decent one. You know. Probably got to take the sister out. Um, no, no, no. A short. I mean, yeah, things, things have to no, go. Like only Kristen Stewart and Chloe Savini. Yeah. Into the murder sequence. Yeah. So all their scenes together and then the murder sequence. And maybe yeah. you start with Kristen Stewart, like, cleaning the window. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah. <laughs> it would probably be better than this. That's Lizzie, directed by Greg McNeil. Director of The Boy. Three shorts with the same cinematographer. Six episodes of Channel Zero with the same cinematographer. Written by Bryce Cass, edited by uh, Abby Jutkowitz, mm. who also edited the same three shorts, it would seem, and a film called As You Are, starring Chloe Sevigny, or Sevigny, and Kristen Stewart. Not recommended, sadly. Do not see this movie. We're going to take a quick break and talk about our final title of the episode. And also, get a refund. Do you know where you are right now? I'm in a drug trial. What do you think is wrong with you? I'm sick. I don't matter. What would you say this trial is showing you about yourself? Is this therapy now? It's not therapy. It's science. Once you begin to appreciate the structure of the mind, there's no reason to believe that anything about us can't be changed. Pain can be destroyed. The mind can be solved. 
Terry, Joji, Fukunaga's Maniac. A Netflix original starring Emma Stone, Jonah Hill, Sally Field, Justin Thoreau. Mm-hmm. Who else? Sonoya Mizuno. Mm. Billy Magnuson. Gabriel Byrne. Mm. Julia Garner. Jemima Kirkey. Rome Conda. Grace Van Patten. Hank Azaria. Ariel Cavassi. And Salinas Leva. Large cast. You have Kim... You have completed the miniseries. I have watched episodes one through six. I completed it last week. There you go. Seven days ago, I believe. I so today we'll just be talking about episodes one through six. Roughly. To my best recollection, which yeah. will rely upon you steering me towards what the final part of episode six was. So let's start there. What was the Got last it. thing you saw? The last thing I saw was uh, the test subject taking pill C. And for a brief second, we see Emma Stone's character as an elf of some kind. Um, really? So you yeah. didn't watch the first 20? I, I thought that both the 26-minute episodes were episode 5 and 6. No? Episode 6 was more like 40 minutes, I want to say. So 7 and 8 are the 26 and 28 minutes, or 27 and 29-minute episodes, then. That sounds possible. That's my bad. I, yeah. I thought I when I told you to watch the next one, I, I thought that it was because you were in the middle of oh. twenty episode or twenty to thirty minute episode. Mm. You mentioned watch the twenty six minute episode one. I thought maybe you just meant watch up until they take pill three or uh, pill C. It's probably better that you yeah. did so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um, but I I there's definitely a lot to be discussed about what happens in mm. the end there, which is most prevalent in my mind mm. but i mean the beginning you know we're talking about popcorn problems we're talking about trauma mm. we're talking about um uh relationships with technology sexual and uh ethical and and philosophical and um evolutionarily we're talking about relationships we're talking about uh loss of identity we're talking about questioning reality we're talking about um you know, you know, true human-to-human contact. Yeah, where do you want to start? Where to begin? Do, uh, do you want to try to go episode by episode, or would you rather talk in kind of broader strokes about what, what we like, what we didn't like, um, um, broader themes, that kind of thing? I think episode by episode might be might get us to those things more. It, or at least it'll get me there more. What, what would you prefer? That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, probably just spend more time on others as we see fit. Um, episode one, just getting introduced to Jonah Hill and Emma Stone's character. Um, no. What do you mean? Episode one's just Jonah Hill, if I remember correctly. It's just popcorn problems, and then we're seeing Emma Stone um, as the kind of uh, noirish, uh, not noir, vertigo-like female figure at the end of Vertigo, where he doesn't know if she's truly mm. her. Thought we did see her in episode one. I could be wrong. I, I believe episode two is her arc, and episode one mm -hmm. is his arc. Yeah. With Billy Magnuson, Gabriel Byrne, um, Jemima Kirkie. Who's his Billy family. Magnuson? Billy Magnuson mm. is his imaginary brother and his brother. He's also oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Game in Night. Um, Game Night, and yeah. he's also in uh, I'm Not I'm Dying Up Here. Shoot. Uh, Get Shorty. He's a very, mm. very good actor, and I think that mm. he will be um, something comparable to Alexander Skarsgård once he's fully developed. I think he's funnier than Alexander Skarsgård. 
No, no, no. I mean, as an actor, I think he'll. Mm. I think as a fully developed actor, mm. he'll have that range. Mm. If you go watch Mute, um, and I, mm. I think that by the end of the year, we'll see what Skarsgård's capable of mm. if his new films are are what I What's think he they're going to be. Uh, well, he'll be in the film we watch next week, Hold the Dark. Mm, gotcha. Um, yeah. But he's he's in the Hummingbird Project, I believe, with Jesse Eisenberg. Oh, and I think I he might have a few more coming out this year. But yeah. he, I I think that he is one of the the most fascinating actors to think about how important they'll be to Hollywood in the next 10 years. Mm. Billy Magnuson could be akin to Alexander Skarsgård. Will be, or will mm. be greater than. Mm. I, I almost think that he's in between Tom Hardy mm. and Skarsgård. Gotcha. I think he's going to get there. Mm. Um, yeah, early on, uh, I think I got on board with it very quick. Um, uh, I, I really enjoy uh, the production design of the show. Um, mm-hmm. Pink and purple hues, I think, are delicious. Um, I love all the color choices. Um, I think sort of the reality that we are inhabiting is explained um, in very satisfying ways. There are so many um, unique qualities of this world that are explained only as we see them sort of take place in the narrative. Things like uh, ad buddies, um, friend proxies um unfortunately we don't i'm gonna spoil it for you we mm. we don't get to revisit these um kind of as we press forward and there's a lot yeah. left on the table and really it's just like i want to see this world again yeah uh i i can't tell you about the the end so i, I kind of have to navigate away from that but i'll say i want to revisit this world and next week maybe we can get into how yeah yeah um yeah, I just think that there is a, a, a worse version of this out there that um, assumes we need some of these things explained to us rather than just showing us them mm-hmm. um, and letting us figure out how they are a part of this world that we're seeing. Um, yeah, what are you thinking? Uh, so I think everything that you're saying <laughs> is probably true. I don't know about the color stuff. Mm. Um but for for me what this work does is for me it's the best narrative um meaning written story Mm. that's been visually depicted this Mm. entire year my experience of watching this felt like i read a book Mm. and i fucking loved it i loved it i fell in love with jonah i fell in love with emma I, mm. I fell in love with them falling in love and out of love with each other and and their arc as they continue mm. um what, what flat what um interactions with the robot did you get through with or the, the computer robot. oh the Sorry. computer Cute. yeah sally fields um we understand that she is depressed um following the death of dr muramoto and oh. the last thing i saw was jonah hill preparing to leave the experiment in the middle of the night and walking up to the computer and there being sort of a veiled threat from the computer. I don't remember what the what the word choice is there, but he thinks he hears a threat. So is Justin in the story yet? Yeah. Oh yeah. Justin Thoreau's character. And Rome is dead? Who's dead? Uh, the, the original Japanese um, yes. experiment runner? Yes. He okay. is dead. And have do you understand what's happening with what we you, understand. What, what do you think is happening with the computer at the moment? We understand, and the characters are discussing the fact that the character is depressed about 
Dr. Muramoto's death and that they have perhaps developed as um, the uh, woman with the glasses says they had an unprofessional relationship. Um, yes. So the, the, the machine, the computer is mourning. And the woman uh, with the glasses is Sonoya Mizuno. Personally, one of my favorite characters. Yes, absolutely. Um, probably her, my, her probably wig is amazing, and yeah. uh, you know that slouch and the the just endless cigarettes. How she holds her cigarette, maybe yeah. the single best thing about this. Very for loose me. in her fingers. Um, yeah, loose, but like you know, she's not going to drop it. Oh, no, no matter how loose it looks in her hands, or in it her is lips. firmly yeah. there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, it's really hard because I don't want to spoil stuff, but I. I the way that you're wording stuff, I don't know if mm. you're just maybe not seeing what I'm seeing and I should say it or, or mm. not, but... I can try to say more. Um, just at least kind of like we can try to fill out the plot wise. about what I have seen. Computer-wise. Um, Computer-wise. Um, uh, we've seen the computer um, sort of represented in one of these experiments as uh, Sally Field in the... Um, uh, I don't know what you would call it. When Jonah Hill's character and Emma Stone's character are in the um, uh, 40s yes. yeah. storyline. Very much a Great Gatsby storyline. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sally Field's character is... Um, Sally Field is representing sort of the computer there. So Dr. You... Muramoto is the, the the dancing dead guy. Okay, um, so I feel very comfortable with just saying mm. something that you could have already gleaned off of your experience with the show. And they mm -hmm. will overtly state it in the next episode, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Sunuya, is that correct? Sunoya Mizuno. Mm -hmm. uh, after Justin Thoreau left the project, programmed mm -hmm. in those emotional parameters to the computer based upon his mother. Yeah, she says so she the says computer she gave is, it empathy. The, yeah. the computer is his mother. Mm, yeah. She she didn't say as much, but she's she, in her words. She says, "I gave it." She says, "I gave it just a sliver of empathy." Yeah. Okay. To, so to help them from getting lost. I'm just remembering that this isn't eight episodes; it's ten. So you're barely more than halfway. Six in. Yeah. 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 Okay, that changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they're at the point where they're trying to separate them still, because every time they go into the the subconscious dreamscape uh, within the pill or when they're on the pill they are uh, cohabitating the same reality, correct? Correct. We have seen... And you're about to see them uh, in their own realities in the next two episodes. Those 26-minute uh, episodes. Yeah. Yeah, we've... Yeah. One time Jonah's character doesn't take the pill, so he doesn't do anything. Yep. Really? And then he Emma's, takes it because he's forced to. <laughs> yeah. Emma Stone takes takes it and has the flashback to her sister's death. Mm -hmm. Um. They both take B, and they both flash back to the 80s with the lemur storyline, and then they also both are in the 40s narrative. Um, uh, that was perhaps one of my favorite episodes, um, in particular, watching Emma Stone and Jonah Hill dance with dead Dr. Muramoto was a particular moment of delight. Uh, but... Um, yeah, very much Frankenstein. Yeah, absolutely. Or Frankenstein's monster, if we're going to be literally correct. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, just in terms of world building, I think I think I think it's a, a wildly successful thus far. 
Um, I don't really have any complaints about sort of the environment that it's created for its characters. Um, uh, I've, I've completely enjoyed Emma Stone's performance, completely enjoyed Jonah Hill's performance. I do think she is um, outperforming him just a bit. But Everyone that is says that, and I don't see it. No. Um, I, I felt it in the 40s episode in particular. Um, but, it, you know, like I said, I think I would still give this a five. So we're kind of. I, I would agree that based on what she's allowed to do with mm-hmm. that character and who she gets to be because of the fact that she's already exited and she's coming back, mm-hmm. and that Jonah is is very much still the same character that's aware of who he is and he hasn't been separated from the storyline. Yeah. The, the, I, I would agree, but th- the thing is, if you're keeping track of who they're allowed to play and what identity they're inhabiting, yeah. for me, I, I think that they're each holding their own. Yeah, in yeah. a way, I don't know that it's really a fair, like, even comparison, right? Because they're asked to do very different things. Like, his his depressed, monotone kind of behavior, like, is just uh, night and day different from what she's able to kind of express range-wise. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know that it's really like that fair to comparison, but um, I, I think that he has a range too. You know, I I, I thought maybe he, we were going to see more of a range in the '40s episode, um, with him leaning heavier into some of that. Um, no, he's he's dialogue. very much still um, um, his depressive self. Yeah, yeah. Um, you you, I'll just mm. within the show, you'll never get him outside of his depressive self. I don't. Yeah, that's just. That seems but Emma plausible. does you know she she's defensive in a way that he's not yeah he's open um he's very much like like mickey rourke in sin city he's like i need my medicine i mean you know like mm-hmm. he 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 believes he's more sick than he is mm-hmm. and he um is very worried about doing the wrong thing whereas emma is you know more like benicio del toro yeah <laughs> she doesn't give a fuck yeah but that you know you'll you'll see that development as it happens so episode one is him and his trauma um you know Mm. you get the appearance that he's in love with uh lola kirky's older sister jemima kirky Ah, i didn't know that they look alike being married to um billy magnuson yeah we we Mm. talked about um gemini earlier this year maybe even on the podcast and i and i brought up the fact that she's the younger sister of jemima Mm. kirky from girls and you were like i've never uh, seen yeah. girls and i was like what so now you <laughs> know who, who, now you know who jimima kirky is and um yeah but what do you think about that um that exposition of trauma did you like it did it ground you in the show um his particular trauma yeah i think so um in, in episode one what we're specifically learning is about his need to um testify on behalf of it and and then gabriel byrne is just you know he's as good as he was in hereditary yeah he is sharp um yeah most of what what i think we kind of feel toward jonah hill characters thus far is just um sort of loneliness and um him feeling ostracized from his family um and uh questioning his very identity because his father had attempted to buy him off with money by buying him a wife seven kids yeah in a happy life um or not mm, gotcha. which is a very interesting mm-hmm. um, development that I you know I need to rewatch it because I, I still don't know what's true and I think that might be on purpose 
mm-hmm. but it, but it is interesting. Did you get to any parts with Grace Van Patten, who is Olivia? We see Grace Van Patten in the '40s episode as a, okay. another member of the party. Yes, and she's the one who leads him into to the, dance. the um the safe with mm-hmm. Don Quixote's lost chapter. Correct. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so Grace Van Patten does have a small role in that episode, okay. um, but conspicuous enough that you you don't quite expect her to to she does return. arrive one more time um, yeah. on while they're on the sea pill mm-hmm. i believe um it's kind of interesting the last arc of the show um to, to consider if what we see is truly what we're seeing or if it is a manifestation of something that happens later yeah. um so episode two is all about emma stone episode one is all about jonah's popcorn problems in his apartment and trying to figure out money he gets laid off um, yeah and then he considers a pharma trial mm-hmm. emma stone's episode two uh is all about her uh not about jonah i think this is wrong i think during the no? i think we do see emma stone in episode one this is we this do is see her okay. within okay. the um the pharma trial uh area so not first we see her he, he sees her continuously because he mm. sold herself she sold herself as mm. an ad years ago yeah you see her walking around during the opening monologue. Um, Perhaps. You see her in, a, like, a cafe. She sees a group of people talking together. One of them is wearing a, a friend proxy badge. That sounds right. Who returns in the 80s episode. But uh, but we don't experience her her storyline, correct? In episode one, we don't experience her storyline, do we? I feel like episode one is is like maybe we begin with them right we begin with Justin Thoreau leading us in just like in Beyond mm. Black Rainbow we begin with being led yeah, in yeah thought about that yeah and then um and then it's just Jonah Hill and his popcorn problems I thought gotcha basically we'll go yeah and his you know his stalker like love yeah. for um Emma Stone that, that begins to develop which is yeah. me just playing with words about life itself for those of us that had to see mm. through that there you go um sit through that not see through that emma stone i i don't remember seth seth jesus christ i'm just thinking about super bad seth and jules baby it's been 10 years and they're back and they're in love um it it is really fun to think about isn't it (laughs) oh yeah i I very much wanted to pair super bad with it um it's very tempting but seeing jonah um you you don't see jonah much except for kind of on, on the outskirts of episode two near the end. It's very much about her development as an addict. Um, she goes yeah. to get the pills from, um, I don't remember his name within the show, but Rome, Rome's son, who's playing chess with a koala. Puppet, robotic puppet kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He says, like, I, I own you, bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are the kinds of scenes that I think sort of um, leave, like, time period and place ambiguous. But, like, futuristically retro? Like, it's That's what's very strange, right? right? Um, There are things that are very clearly, like, 80s-esque, right? You see his computer at work, Jonah Hill's character's computer at work, which looks like the first Macintosh that there Well, his his TV in his apartment looks similar, right? Yeah, and the same sort of, like, infomercial thing that they watch when they enter the trial. And and Greta, I mean, she's just a giant room of a computer, 1970s Mad Men style. Yeah. Um, so I think there is value in sort of um, removing time and place. I think it's an alternate in, history in, timeline, um, just like uh, that Philip K. Dick Man in the High Castle show, right? It's very much that that min- co-mingling of 
I think Carrie presenting Japanese American stylings together mm. into an alternate future. Yeah, but to me, yeah, alternate future, exactly. Okay. It, me and the High Castle, is it the future or is it current day or I don't know? Uh, well, okay, it would be the it would be an alternate past that would have a mm-hmm. futuristic look because yeah. it would have been written when Philip K. Dick was writing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's like the way advertising uh, plays a role in this world seems like a logical extension of the world we live in. Yet there are other things that seem like they haven't advanced at the same pace, mm-hmm. which sort of confuses like time period no. uh, in a good way. Yeah, so um, what I was thinking was how fascinating it was that there weren't smartphones mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the world presents everything that a smartphone does. Mm-hmm. Go to IMDb right now. Tell me you don't see an ad. Mm, yeah. Okay, well, mm. in this world, there's ad buddies. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, so, like, when we walk to the brewery to go get our beer, in the next two hours, I'm going to get a question from Google Opinion Rewards, where yeah. I'm going to get 22 cents if I say that I went to Jiffy Lube and used my debit card, which is right yeah. next to the brewery. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just like ad buddy. Like, yeah. give me money, and I'll tell you how to advertise. So it's, yeah. um... You know, it's it's a physical manifestation of what we're seeing in our digital world, mm-hmm. to me, and I think that it's genius. And it, what yeah. it's doing with the Western canon of mythology, I think, is just mm. genius. What it's doing with our understanding of psychology and trauma, and REBT, mm. which is rational mode of behavioral therapy, which is a psychological tool to overcome trauma and become able to manifest yourself and mobilize yourself within the world, which is part of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is CBT. It's just perfect. It's incredible how well it's executed. Yeah. And Carrie, I, I think, to put it lightly, he's the next Denny. Denny Villeneuve? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Say more. What's the connection you see? I mean, I think if I've heard any complaint about... Uh, it's Fukunaga, right? Mm-hmm. It's his last Carrie name. Carrie Joji Fukunaga. I think it was uh, Scott Tobias, um, amongst others, who I heard had trouble tracing sort of a through line through his work and thus aren't sure yet what his authorial voice um, is and what sort of differentiates him and thus when they talk about him being the next director of the Bond movie it's anyone's guess what it will look like between who directed the last Bond film? Sam Mendes? Raimi oh was it Mendes? Um, I was thinking Sam Raimi he directed one of the other ones um, did Sam? that's right it could have been Sam Raimi it could have been Sam Mendes Sam Mendes also sounds like a like a name that I know but yeah. I, I was going to say Sam Raimi well here let's let's just find out we for have the info we, we have plenty of time before we have to get to our movie yeah. surprisingly yeah um, and Sam Smith I think did the film as well or the too the, many Sam's the song. involved Wait. he did the song for it <laughs> Yeah, so I searched Sam Raimi, and, and Bond isn't one of the first things that come up. It's Spider-Man and Evil Dead, so I Got definitely it. know I, that I it's was mistaken. Uh, Sam Mendes is a stage director, best known for Skyfall, Inspector, American Beauty, Revolutionary Road, Road to Perdition. Mm. He likes roads, and he likes Bonds, is what I'm seeing. Um, Jarhead, Away We Go. I love Away We Go. So, right, if I were to ask you what Sam Mendes's through line is as, as an authorial voice as a director like what what ties Skyfall and Away We Go together um I couldn't tell you anything I, I would agree I, I don't yeah. think that you so 
have you seen True Detective Season 1? I have not. Oh, okay. You ask me, what ties True Detective Season 1 and Maniac together, Taylor? I don't fucking know. There's shows, I guess. Like, yeah. nothing ties together. I mean, great character development, beautiful yeah. visuals, fascinating themes, uh, great shadow work, w- w- meaning narrative shadow. Like, mm-hmm. casting doubts constantly through manipulation mm-hmm. of the lens. Like, I think that what he can do to communicate how a character feels is his true strength. And I think that he understands the actors that he works with so far and works with them so well and makes them so comfortable that he's just that guy, you, you know? Whereas I think Denny has a very clear carryover of always bringing a voice to femininity that people mm. are so drawn to that they question anytime you bring up Denny like how mm. what are they going to do it, because the, in the back of their mind they're thinking about that femininity and I would say that's you, you know I personally almost always disagree with Scott Tobias if I remember correctly mm. he's one of my favorites so I, I don't take him <laughs> too seriously um, uh, yeah I should clarify. I don't know that he meant it was th- like that he meant it as a criticism, but like just for a wildly different comparison. If you were to pick certain other directors, like a, say a Paul Thomas Anderson, there is sort of a hard to define quality that you might come to expect from his next film, something peculiar and idiosyncratic, um, versus other directors whose work is consistently good, but whose um voice is seemingly more disparate film to film and thus harder to predict which you could argue is better just as fast good thing yeah no i, yeah, think, yeah. I think it's i think it's equal yeah um so the person that you just brought up uh pta mm-hmm. and i'm trying to remember his name you'll remember as soon as i say i heard huckabees david o russell he's much more of a david o russell to me like point out the similarities between Silver Linings Playbook and Three Kings. Yeah, point not out much. Yeah. the similarities between Joy and I Heart Huckabees. Right, like there are similarities. Yeah, and I think there will be similarities project to project. I think that I can point to many similarities between Jane Eyre and Maniac. Yeah. I haven't seen Jane Eyre, but I know the story of Jane Eyre, and I, I think that yeah. I can point to those similarities. Um, but I think that it's just what you see is someone who's good at their job. Yeah. You know, he's just good at his job. He's like Steve McQueen. He's just good at his job. Yeah. His job is to give you great visuals. And you compare Beasts of No Nation side by side with this. What's common? Yeah. Looks good. The actors are good. The actors are so good that they seem like they're comfortable and they trust him. And yeah. it seems like he's shooting from the right spots. Like every time I look at mm. it, I don't go, you should have put the camera there. I never think that. Yeah. Which I think means that, that he's truly gonna be great and i yeah i think that he's only gonna get better yeah but to me that's different from denny villeneuve who if he was to direct a bond a bond movie i think i already know what that trailer sounds like there's going to be okay well ominous tone that that could be but i think he would find somebody with a similar sensibility and the trailer would probably have that deep bass that goes similar Yeah. To, to sort of conduce that ominous tone. Um, no, the thing about, about this Denny is, just discussion. is, is I'm not Denny is to be about 12, 12 feature films mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And uh, 
a few, quite a few from different screenwriters. Yeah. Than him. And I, you know, once we spend more time with Carrie, uh, either developing screenplays that are already written with his voice as well, or him shooting films that are just from someone else's voice, I think we'll slowly see that development. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if I were to show you, uh, let's see, what's that film called? The one with the fish head flop, Maelstrom. If I were to show you Maelstrom, mm. then I were to show you Blade Runner twenty forty nine and say that it's the same movie. What are the or the same director? What are the similarities? You'd be like, I don't know. Yeah, you got to see the arc. You got you got to see Enemy. You got to see Arrival. You you've got to see um that terrible shootout film. Um, where they killed the women at the uh, that Quebec school. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah, he made he made a film um, about a an angry boy who goes and shoots up a bunch of girls at a school in Quebec. Not the Polytechnique one. Polytechnique. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Haven't seen it. Wild yeah. guess. Yeah. So like, if you watch the whole arc of those, you you kind of see the development. But if you just go maelstrom to arrival if you just go maelstrom mm-hmm. to later under 24 you're like well, what's happening yeah you, you know yeah. um and and what's the taylor sheridan film he did sicario sicario right yeah if you just go uh not blade runner i guess um sicario with polytechnique you're like there's no similarities here yeah you know and i think that mm-hmm. might be kind of where we're at we just need more from him and yeah. I, I think once we see bond He'll get the stretch his legs. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be cool. Um, I kind of forgot how we got on that tangent, but I am excited to see what he does with Bond. For sure. Yes. Um, I don't doubt his he direction at all. Direction is titles in production. Yeah. Um, his direction is a strength, for sure. In my, that's what I felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the number one listed writer here with Patrick Somerville, which they both developed the show together. And it's technically created by Patrick Somerville. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then they have many writers. I think that there's ten more writers besides them that can um, contribute it. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, Carrie's got Sin Nombre, Jane Eyre, True Detective Season 1, Beasts of No Nation. And then he's got Bond 25 in development, six announced projects, uh, two shorts. Gotcha. Yeah got a full plate and the editor of this show um some of it which which is very Mm. interesting because there's only one listed editor but he only edited four episodes Mm. and there's one listed um cinematographer who only edited four episodes which leads me to believe that carrie edited and Mm. uh, did cinematography for those Ah, that's interesting. Um, and the the editor is uh, Pete Bedreau, who did Beast of No Nation, A Cure for Wellness, All is Lost, and The Gambler. And the other one is uh, Tim Strecto, who did The Squid and the Whale, Greenberg, 27 episodes of Boardwalk Empire, and three episodes of Mrs. Maisel. Mm. And then cinematography is by Darren Liu, who's done 12 shorts, one episode of Bloodline, and then the four episodes of Maniac. Hmm. Which, yeah. which is very, like, who edited them? Mm-hmm. I want to know. I want to know if it's Carrie. Because if Carrie did yep. the editing, then, he, you know, he is a guy that can take over and run the show. Yeah. Yeah, anytime I saw a reflective surface of any kind, I was like, oh, yeah, Taylor's going to be into this. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, 
I love this show. Uh-huh. I gave it a five and a heart. You gave it so far a five. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I think I do want to wait. I think it's I think it's wrong to to to, to judge too early. Mm-hmm. But I I will say that I'm very much enjoying it thus far. Okay. Um. But uh, I've got to judge the work in its in its totality. Yeah. yeah. Um. But um. All indications are positive. That's for sure. It, it's very much. Um, it communicates what I would call the Western canon narrative, which is mythologically uh, Rome in mythology, Greek mythology, and Norse mythology. It does all of those. And you maybe haven't mm. seen the Norse tie-in yet because you didn't mm. know a character when I named him. Um, who is a character you've already met, but when, once you're in the seafell world, you'll, you'll see a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm looking back to my notes, some stuff we've already touched on. Um, things that we hadn't touched on. This has uh, a little bit to do with production design, but things that we've seen in this world thus far that haven't really been explained to us, and, I, and that Nor I'm glad have. Yeah. Um, for example, um, Emma Stone's character Annie goes to her uh, her dad's house, and I, I think it's episode two. So good. Yeah, it's and the beginning he's... of episode two when we see the folktale cardboard uh, cutouts, right? Ooh, I don't know if I remember it. So we pan through the window when she's walking through the door, mm-hmm. and there's these two girls mm-hmm. that are in this folktale cutout, and I believe there's like a big bad wolf mm. as well. Um, and I think an additional character, and so you're you're already getting the implicit folktale background of the you know the the two girls in the folktale of the mm. bad story. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I totally missed that, so I will have to rewatch. Um, but her dad's in that like tank of of, Hank of some Azaria. sort, yeah. um, in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's like a hose hooked up to it. Um, what exactly like he's doing in there, or what that it's is? It's called the void, I believe. Did she call it that? No, I believe that's what it's called within the, the narrative. Uh, well, like they reference it at some point. Yeah, I mean, I assumed it was just a similar space to what the people are sleeping in in the facility um but i was just like what a strange like what is he doing in this thing in the backyard why is he in there you you want Um, to tell you well not if it's going to spoil anything but i don't think i understand no he's um his wife left him his daughter died he's terribly depressed he has the same um mental instabilities that he passed down to his daughter emma stone Understood. And he, uh, so when you're depressed, especially when you when you're manically depressive, yeah. you don't want to get up. You just want to want to lay in bed and, and and be in darkness, basically, and and just do nothing. And that yeah. is exactly what that's doing. Why why is it why is it a tank and not his bedroom? I believe that that's it, what I mean. Just I, technologically, so not emotionally. I, I believe it's supplying mm. a bunch of different stuff that I would have to look at the radar again. But it, it has yeah. CO two levels, oxygen levels. Um, I think it had sunlight levels, uh, so ultraviolet. It, it had basically everything that you need to stay healthy while you're depressed, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, there, there's something to that, and, and yeah. that it's common enough in that world that that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is why I, you know, they don't exactly explain it, and that's why I want to spend more time in the world. I, I want to, you haven't seen it yet, but there's, um, they're in a pharma, pharmaceutical building. Mm. And all I'll say is, just like Cabin in the Woods, I want to go to different floors on that elevator. Yeah, see what else is going on. Um, 
I was also kind of fascinated that the friend proxies wear badges um, indicating that they are friend proxies. Um, I thought this is not a criticism, just just a bizarre choice of this world. Um, when Have Emma you gotten Stone... to the point? Continue. Oh, yeah. You're about to answer um, me. When Emma Stone shows up in sort of the, uh, like, um, uh, you know, plant facility, the greenhouse. Um, she's pretending to be the friend proxy mm-hmm. just to get involved in okay, the... Okay, so you've gotten there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's pretending to be a friend proxy to get involved with the study. Um, you've seen her wearing this badge that says friend proxy, or it says FP, kind of conjoined. And you see one other character wearing it in, in um, episode one. Um, I just thought that was an interesting touch. You'll I see another thought, one later in the show. Yeah, I just I, I would have assumed that in such a world where this thing exists... It is something you would want to be discreet about. Um, that you had deliberately signed up for a pretend friend of some kind. Um, just in kind but of. But you're coming in from the world with smartphones, not the world where you're worried about whether or not someone's who they claim to be. Uh, say that again. You live in a world with smartphones, mm-hmm. where you're worried about like that type of a, a culture mm-hmm. that is instantaneous. This is not an instantaneous culture. Mm-hmm. You're more worried about if what's true is true in this type of a culture, and and so yeah. these certifications, just like when you um, when you go to a like a website and it says like McAfee Secure or something, right? Yeah, that's what they're getting out of out of these badges. They tr- trust. Mm, yeah, I guess um, I am surprised that this is a world in which people are comfortable with other people knowing that they are signing up for. It's because everyone's doing it, I think. That could be. Because it is the norm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, so episode five, uh, which is where, which is the lemur storyline. The first two are a little more clear in what they sort of like represent in the characters' minds, especially because they kind of describe explicitly what pill a does it like brings traumas to the surface of your and head. you already know that she's addicted to the experience of getting to be with her sister again mm-hmm. um those those were more clear whereas you know in storyline or in pill b when and we jump to this uh um 80s period where there are a couple with the lemur um i think it's less immediately clear what this has to do um, with their oh. develop, with their character development. So we were in the middle of a. I was still trying to suss out what you understand about the computer. Yeah. So one thing that that uh, like keep your notes out. Still, I'm, I'm not gonna completely yeah, yeah, take just, over. But yeah, um. Yeah. So the reason that I'm asking this, I, I just have this is. She's a uh, manifestation of identity as well. She's playing into mm. this. The computer. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She she has her own personality that's playing into it too, and and they're all sharing this commingled reality. Um. So mm-hmm. just as much as Emma Stone and Jonah Hill's characters are developing, Seth and Jules, mm-hmm. if you will, just as yeah. much as they're developing. Yeah. <laughs> the computer you, you could assume is developing as well. Mm. And um, th- there's something very interesting happening where you know we begin with Justin Thoreau having sex with his computer with peanut butter uh, and, and all sorts of lubricants littered around his home when um, 
when Sunoya Mizuno comes and interrupts him and says that he needs mm. to come because Rome just died. Um, yeah. And he, so the first scene we see is him loving a robot. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. right? And then what we yeah. get for the rest of the show is this robot he built or computer he built. Yeah. Processing and learning love through these interactions yeah. with people. Yeah. And the stories that they have to get through the traumas of their love. Yeah. And I, I just want to make sure that that's very clear that we're on the same wavelength of oh, yeah. th- this is trauma, this is love, and this is the computer learning from them. And also yeah. um, them learning with the computer. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that that episode, unlike the one in which we just see a flashback to uh, Emma Stone's character sister's death, this one, this one felt much more confused in who's sort of experience we're, we're learning about. Yes. Um, we know that Emma Stone's character's mother, it, you know, divorced her father, is is at least absent from her life. Any sort of abandonment or loneliness she feels seems to materialize in this episode. Um, but it seems to um, additionally um, involve whatever sort of feeling the computer has as we've already come to realize that the computer has the same voice as Justin Theroux's character's mom who is um, Lincoln's wife in the film Lincoln correct <laughs> Sally Field um, so uh, it was just a particularly rich episode in sort of this um, feeling of um, connection between a, a child and a and a parent between various characters mm-hmm. um, that uh, I couldn't tease out like when I was watching it, but I just know that I, I knew that I felt it, you know? Hmm. Um, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, this is so genius. Like, I was just like, this is genius, this is genius, this is genius, this is genius. <laughs> it's very fun. Uh, outstanding questions that I have at this point. Um, the biggest one is after Dr. Muramoto dies and Azumi who's played by uh, Rome and Azumi uh, takes the elevator goes up to some office and is talking to a television screen about mm. bringing in Justin Thoreau I think that is like the biggest unanswered uh, plot point um, there's lots of ambiguity about you know character development let me development say and that, the, kind of that thing. thing that I said earlier about mm. how I want to see what happens on these other floors Mm. It's directly tied to that interaction. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That was uh, rather withholding mm-hmm. who, who or what exactly she is they talking to. They continue to withhold. Yeah. Um, have you read Don Quixote? I've read the first, I'd say, third of it. Okay. That is one I have not read, but that, um, you know, sometimes, you know, films or TV have specific reference points obvious ones that you just don't care about it's this is one that like leads you to the source that it makes you want to go read and kind of see what what the tie-ins are i'll I'll tell Um, you i'll I'll be more open to revisiting mm. novels once Mm. the year is over yeah i I think i'm still around 770 so i've got i've got a good 230 to get through in the next uh october november december yeah three months i got three months for 230 so yeah yeah um, not much else note wise. Um, 
kind of thinking about format more generally, this is one that like I felt like was just perfectly suited suited for the format that it, it was ultimately presented in. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't want less time. I wouldn't want more time um, up until the point that I've watched. Um, it's been really fun to um, take it episode by episode and live and, in their traumas. Yeah, and I and I could equally imagine it being satisfying if you watched it all in one sitting. Um, but I do think it is um, particularly um, well structured to allow for both. Um, I, I don't both. know if it's good for like episodic though. I feel like you kind of need some immediate payoff. Like I think you might need episode one and two together. I think mm. you might need the next two episodes you're about to watch kind of together. Mm. Um, I, I I don't know yeah. it, with some like I think that the one that you just watched is a great standalone episode. Like it's just yeah because yeah. it's the it's the Grace Van Patten uh, safe heist right. Uh, it's the one right after that, but oh, okay. yeah, but you're right. They do kind of come in pairs, um, but um, you know, I do think there's something about miniseries that, um, like you said, it reads like a novel where you can read a chapter, put it down, mm-hmm. let it sit in your mind, and come back to it. Yes, um, that is a very like particular kind of experience versus something that you digest in a single sitting. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly think you could do that um, with this show, and it would be fun. Um, but to, you know, write it and direct it such that it's, um, available to an audience who wants to do either or, um, is kind of tough. Um, if anything, in retrospect, you know, something like Sharp Objects, I think, you know, is a little tough to sort of get immersed in that character, leave her for the week, and come back to Amy Adams' character, um... Those those don't agree. feel as much like chapters to me as this does. Mm-hmm. Um, no, listen, and, this feels yeah. like the difference between expert and good. Yeah, just like you can read a whole novel in one day if you want to, you can the best ones you can read a chapter, just think about those characters for a couple days and come back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's or, something or that a like month. the great miniseries. You yeah. know, there's some yeah. books where I will take time away because once it's over, it's over. Yeah. And, and um, you know, it, it's hard. You, you never get to have that first experience again, right? Like, I re- I was the weird kid that read it. Every time a Harry Potter book came out, mm. got an opening day, and I finished it that day. Downed it. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and now as an adult, I probably would be the person that, that doesn't do that. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, uh, Phil Pullman just released Book of Dust earlier this year, and, you know, I finished it in two days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it's particularly satisfying you know to watch part of a show and then revisit it later when it's specifically kind of referencing things that are a part of the everyday um like when i watch sharp objects and see an episode one week come back to it the next week there's less sort of in that intervening period that i think really illuminates what i've seen and that what i'm expecting um versus something like maniac that seems sort of um temporally like um not specific like i can't tell you what year this is but i can tell you that when i watch an episode and then i i go and start thinking about um the way advertising um plays a role in my life and the way relationships kind of play a role in my life that sort of just reinforces what it is that i'm experiencing in the show exactly Um, no that that's exactly how, how i feel about that too yeah but, yeah. but I would say um, you brought up tem- temporal and the first word that mm. I thought before you even finished was distortion 
Mm. It's a distortion of our current reality, but based on our, our humanistic traits, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, I just keep waiting for somebody like, I keep waiting to have a conversation with this about, I keep waiting to have a conversation with somebody about this show and them to ask me when this takes place. And I'm going to be like, I don't know. I can't tell you where or when. This you want to say exactly. 2049, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the blades um, are running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Julia Garner? Who is she? Uh, she is Emma Stone's sister who's dead. Mm. Um, I hope you've seen that episode. I've seen the one where she dies. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> she's dead. Yes. <laughs> uh, she, is, she is dead. Confirmed. Um, and the last thing I saw. Confirmed kill. Confirmed kill. <laughs> the very last image I saw was of her with Emma Stone as what looks like elves. Ah, uh, Emma Stone like is the half elf, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Julia Garner is the uh, diamond pissing elf, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um,. How do I feel about her specifically? Uh, yeah, what do you think about her as an actress? We were talking about Grace Van mm. Patten earlier. Uh, yeah, I thought she was strong. I think there's something very interesting happening with Netflix as the new age of um, kind of where actors are starting. And mm. I, I think that if you consider who they're bringing into fruition that Grace Van Patten and Julia Garner are, are going to be some of the biggest names we mm. talk about for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Between Tramps, the Meyerowitz stories, I don't know if I can name a movie I saw Grace Van Patten in that wasn't on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And then with Julia Garner, you can name um, one Hulu film that she's in with Riley Kiao, if I'm remembering correctly. And then she's mm-hmm. in um, the Ozark series for Netflix from ah. Jason Bateman. Gotcha, yeah. Um, which is great, but at the same time, like I do want to see them um, on the big screen. Um, no, exactly. That's why, why I'm yeah. saying like they're responsible for developing our next stars. I think. Yeah, yeah. I really think that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like HBO. Um, just I think might have ended their run with Adam Driver, mm, maybe being yeah. the kind of the next big star. Because now you know Westworld's pulling from big stars. Vinyl failed, mm. and it was pulling from big stars. Um, you know, I I would make the argument that stars was. Um, or Showtime, I don't remember which was going to be developing just as equally, but they just mm. canceled on Dying Up Here today. Really? Mm. And, you know, I think R.J. Seiler is going to be one of the biggest names moving forward um, for yeah. actors. And, you know, now now it's canceled. So Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing... Uh, yeah, you mentioned Adam Driver. I remember seeing um, Midnight Special mm-hmm. at SIF and, uh, and they had Mike, uh, Mike Nichols there. Mm-hmm. Um, for a Q and A, and is it Mike um, Nichols or Jeff? Nichols? Jeff Nichols, sorry, Jeff Nichols. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen much of Adam Driver at that point, but he said, you know, I think Adam Driver is going to be one of the most important actors of our generation. And I was like, the guy from Girls? Yeah. I didn't see it, and then now, like having seen um, in Star Wars, Patterson, Silence, I'm like, I get it, mm-hmm. I get it. Um, yeah no i think it's that military background with the ability to act that he has Mm. i I think that um he he has a very clear head a very clean head um yeah Yeah. um but that he doesn't engage with social media he doesn't do technology he just focuses on acting 
he reminds yeah. me very much of, of like a, a new age version of a Michael Shannon, which I think is very interesting mm-hmm. that, that Jeff Nichols used both together. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, and, he's a keen uh, sense Joel, for casting. Joel Edgerton also, correct? Yeah. 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 That, yeah strong cast for that movie in particular. Um, I mean, Loving's just as good, right? You get Nick Kroll, you get oh, Ruth yeah. Naga, you get Joel Edgerton. My favorite Jeff Nichols movie. Yeah. Really? Uh, yeah. I think so. Over, um, God, it's evading me now. It's Lord's favorite film. The oh, the pop musician. Um, now I'm intrigued. Michael Shannon. Uh, Take shelter. Yes, that'd be a close second. Yeah, yeah. It'd probably one. be. Uh, now that we're doing Jeff Nichols rankings, it would probably be Loving, Take Shelter, Mud, um, Midnight Special. I'd probably go. Um, I'd I'd probably go Midnight Special, mm. Take Shelter mud and then like a tie between shotgun stories and I haven't seen that one yeah do you like that was okay yeah it's good especially yeah. for a directorial debut very good yeah very early good. one yeah yeah um at the end of mud when one of the kids is uh after he gets bitten by a snake matthew mcconaughey takes him to the hospital mm-hmm. something gabby and i frequently quote is we got a snake bite here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when he's carrying him in his arms into the thing. Where are snake bot? Oh, one one thing that I wanted to bring up last week that I totally spaced on all your recording was how uh, Nick Cage was just being his character from Joe, which is I think with the same. Oh, I haven't boy. seen Joe. You haven't seen Joe? No, I heard oh, Joe is great. Nick but... Cage has a chainsaw. It's great. All good things. <laughs> Both qualities I like. Uh, um, so, anyways, we agree. Grace Van Patten uh, and Julie Garner might be developing into some of the top talent moving forward very promising them with Hena, yeah. helena howard actresses yeah. are, are just they're i i don't see as many i don't see actors on the rise the way that i see actresses on the rise yeah it's weird when i think of actors i do think about um different kinds of movies I'm, I'm seeing i don't think about the streaming services as much but i think about timothy chalamet who hasn't had as much of a preference or as much of a press yeah on timothy Netflix chalamet originals. is like the first one you think about right I okay think about lucas hedges i like lucas hedges quite I, a bit i do too but these are big names yeah julia yeah. garner grace ann Patton, not so much helena yeah. howard these are not big names these are small names right mm-hmm. if, if i were to if you were to say timothy chalamet i would say riley cow yeah. If if you were yeah. to say, Not, yeah, say say another big female name, um, Kristen Stewart, sure, Lucas Hedges, right? Like yeah. the comparisons yeah. get big. Like Saoirse Ronan, okay. Then let's go with the with a, a big actor. Um, geez, who who would a young kid be? That's big. Um, maybe Taron Edgerton, right? I mean, I don't yeah. like him, but everybody else seems to. So yeah, yeah, and I think it's interesting to see when these young actresses. And actors kind of decide to, um, you know, work with particular directors. Like I think about Kristen Stewart's work with Olivier Assayas, Clouds of Sils Maria, and uh, Personal Shopper, um, Timothy Chalamet doing Call Me By Your Name, and perhaps a sequel with him. Um, No, definitely a sequel has been confirmed by him and by Army and by uh, Luca. Yeah, he's. um, it seems particular about who he works with. Um, like I would love to see Grace Van Patten with, um, I don't know. I, don't, I was about to just throw a name out there. I don't know if that one comes to Alex mind. Alex Perry. Mm, that could be interesting. Um, yeah, she's done Wasp already. I want to see her do a, a, a I want to see her get the same 
role, what's your name just got with uh, Golden Exits um, from oh. American Gods, Lily Moon. I don't know if it's going to come to me. I know who you're talking about, though. Yeah, from the, the, the Zack Snyder Burnett. film. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I could see her doing that. Anyways, uh, I think that we're kind of at a time crunch here. We are. We love Maniac. We do. We'll dig more awesome. into it. We'll probably go back over these episodes once you've watched both of yeah. them uh, or all of them by the time we renegotiate next week on, yeah. on what you think um, so just real quick your top 10 only has films and documentaries at the moment correct yeah do you think that this will be allowed to enter your top 10 if you continue to feel the way that you feel about it right now I don't think so I think I'd probably still put it in a separate kind of category and I might even take documentaries out to me, there is still a really distinct experience for me with um, feature films. Feature films that I can watch in a single set, a single sitting. You know, that's sort of a single unbroken spell um, that reads almost more like a short story or a poem that you digest in a single sitting, versus um, something like Maniac that is like a novel with with chapters mm-hmm. that I could watch or read. You know, over a period of time. Um, there's something about kind of that just just right uh, runtime or duration that I think is still kind of separate for me um, but in terms of whatever category I put this in it's at the top I think okay so okay. yeah and you haven't seen Mosaic yet so I, w- I would agree yeah yeah this does is... this beat Mosaic for you no it's second second okay gotcha Mosaic Maniac Hostiles gotcha or maybe cool. it's Hereditary it might be Hereditary and then Hostiles either way it's gotcha. H it's up there um cool pulling this right up uh we're gonna do consensus ratings we've gone over madeline's madeline sin city i did the extended recut unrated you did the normal version Mm -hmm. uh lizzie maniac episodes one through six which you did not feel comfortable giving a rating to correct i would say it's still a five why not okay nowhere to go with down (laughs) so my let's get to it the consensus ratings for the show are Madeline's Madeline is a three, with a three from me and a three from you. Mm-hmm. Sin City is a consensus rating of three, with a five from me, which is perfect, with a heart, and a one from you, with no heart. I don't know why. Correct. Uh, Lizzie gets a 1.75 consensus rating, uh, two from me, a 1.5 from you. I think that, you know, yours is just as equal to mine. I just gave it the two probably why not because of the performances i was just thinking about those performances when Mm -hmm. i logged it and then maniac i gave a five you gave a five for a consensus rating of a perfect five boom which is very rare on the show Mm -hmm. that's how you know it's worth watching folks uh so what's on tap next week michael up next week we have the netflix original hold the dark directed by jeremy saunier we have colette featuring kira knightley the much-anticipated A Star is Born, featuring Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper, Roma, as well as... Roma Ma. <clears throat> as well as Tom Hardy's first uh, Marvel foray in Venom, and really his first superhero foray. Mm-hmm. Uh, a film that I'm not familiar with at all, that, at your recommendation, called A Room with the View, which will tie into Colette. Mm-hmm. As well as Crazy Heart, which should hopefully tie into A Star is Born. 
and at my insistence and persistence, the instant classic, seen by almost no one, A Prayer Before Dawn, which I think might tie into Venom and Hold the Dark. Declared an instant classic, sight unseen. Sight Love unseen. It. <laughs> I think it's distributed Bold. by A24. I feel good about my claim. Seems like a safe bet. <laughs> All right. Well, from us to you, this has been Drinking the Movies, episode 10. That's right, folks. We're 10 episodes in. Just wow. getting started. Lots to come. I'm Michael. And I'm Taylor. See you next week. Cheers. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. Fascinating.